feature presentation. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 103 of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, Tiff We're is back, in the books baby. for this year. We're done. We made it through. We got through this. Um, you know, it's... We took a, we took a week off. We normally do these now two weekly, two weeks two off, weeks. I believe. Uh, yeah. But we were still, you know, releasing a lot of reviews throughout those two weeks. Uh, everything from TIFF content to Star Wars got to be on brand a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But now that we're finished uh, another uh, festival season, it's nice to kind of just take a little bit of a deep breath mm-hmm. and maybe reminisce a little bit not get nostalgic for for something that only just happened but like just a week kind of ago yeah go back and look at like okay what we liked the most of the festival what some stuff that we saw that we didn't necessarily review individually uh on uh the untitled movie uh reviews uh section of our show or on uh youtube if you're watching it uh that way um you know we keep making the joke and we probably will even you know closer to the film's release but uh that Dune review. Uh. Oh, yeah. No, we'll talk about it a little bit today. Yeah, like as Eric mentioned, this will be kind of our TIFF 21 wrap-up show. So we took a couple weeks off the main show to focus on just reviews. Last week, we kind of just took off in general. Uh, we caught up with some stuff um, on, you know, uh, in the theatrical stuff, which we'll talk about on this show. And maybe we'll do an individual review because I do want to talk about Malignant a little bit. But we caught up with Cry Macho, Malignant. We kind of just took it easy last week. So, uh, but we're back, back to our weekly schedule. Uh, this episode will cover kind of TIFF as a whole, like Eric mentioned, uh, some movies that either Eric only saw or I only saw or some stuff we haven't necessarily. We might still do individual reviews for Bergman Island, Seven Prisoners, a couple other stragglers will pop out for tiff reviews but but they, um, they could just be regular reviews at this point because mm-hmm. bergman island is coming out on, on october 15th and then, so that'll just be a regular review yeah, yeah and then uh seven prisoners even though it doesn't have a, a date yet is supposed to come out in november so um, yeah so we might hold Netflix. those for them that might make more sense for those movies anyway yeah. uh to kind of talk about them as they're coming out so um you'll, they'll come um but today yeah tiff We'll talk about Nolan going to Universal. We're talking about that Super Mario Brothers movie cast because that sent me on a ride. On it's all I could think about all weekend. Um, Even as more well so as, than the Last uh, of Us photo that was uh, released. Oh yeah, yesterday. which is just the back of their heads. But I'm all in, baby. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll kind of touch on that as well as um, the big Netflix Tudum event this weekend, which not necessarily a lot of news, but they dropped a lot of different trailers and stuff that we'll talk about. But Eric, um, we're rested. Uh, did you get up to much last week or you just kind of, we, we did watch Malignant and Cry Macho together. Yes. Which I think was the highlight of, uh, last week in terms of doing something that's a little bit of a, a palate cleanser, um, mm-hmm. from the festival, uh, circuit. Although I will say, and we were talking about this with Malignant, that would have been a perfect Midnight Madness yeah. movie. Which and- Peter did unofficially do yeah. a Midnight Madness screening of it on the last Saturday of TIV, so And it's just a shame that Warner Brothers kind of dumped that movie because in in thinking about it after having watched it, it's not only, in my opinion, um, James Wan's best film because it's taking the piss out of his own sort of creative Stuff. style, <laughs> but also to me, it, 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 
it's not as good as it, but it reminded me a lot of Gremlins 2, where there is this satirical element to, again, <clears throat> the filmmaking, the genre itself, but it's also having it's also having a lot of fun and inviting you to have that fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was really surprised because James Wan for me is, is somebody that I respect for what he's doing, but I don't necessarily think a lot of his films necessarily kind of work. Yeah, land but I know a lot of people. I mean, like a lot of people love the Conjuring movies, obviously, mm-hmm. and and the Saw films, and and what have you. You know, I'm whether, a Saw boy, so. whether it be ironically or not. But with Malignant, it kind of felt like that this culmination of his entire career, like even the the early 2000s style that he's going with but also oh, on top of yeah. that just like sort of the references of of saw and insidious and the conjuring within it all film. feels very intentional right yes. like and i feel like you gotta buy into that movie right away and you kind of have to know what he's doing or what he's uh going for because i've talked to other people our friend mike Munts and a couple other people who if you go in expecting the conjuring or you know a pure just classic kind of uh scare uh, jump scare kind of horror movie that's absolutely not what you're getting and it is a horror comedy i think it is a horror satire and i completely agree with you eric where you can kind of see all the references to all of the other horror stuff he's done and he's kind of like you put it in perfect terms taking the piss out of it and kind of poking fun at all of that stuff and i feel like while also you know still being a fun ridiculous like horror action movie uh with comedic elements and i think like the bad acting is intentional. The melodrama is intentional. Like I, I, I think all of that, like there's many shots in that movie where I'm like, that looks like something right at a saw, but just a little elevated because it's not, you know, uh, as cheap as it was back then. Um, and I really think that you mentioned all the other references that like, I, I love that movie and I keep thinking about it and it's crept its way up my uh, best of the year rankings. And I feel like it's best going in, not knowing anything, but also knowing that it is, you know, it is a satire, I think. Like you it's have to scary go kinda... soap opera, you know, like that's yeah. kind of what it is. And it kind of feels like, again, going to your point of melodrama, it has this artifice, this facade that all of it kind of does feel fake or removed from, you know, a more sort of integrated, straightforward horror movie. And that's kind of the the fun of the film, right? Like even the sets of the main house where you have these over, you know, head shots of characters running through the house, which are beautifully yeah, crafted right. and well done. But the 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 cinematography and the score, you can tell are very much taking sort of a, a nod or, or sort of taking the same path that someone like Sam Raimi would in terms of the filming style. Like it's as much sort of yeah. three stooges as it is, you know, c- kind of your classic grindhouse kind of horror movie. Yeah, no, it's so much fun. And I, I think maybe we'll do maybe a spoiler cast or maybe not, but like just this small little chat, but um, unfortunately it came out right during the festival and I would have loved, loved, loved if it played midnight madness. Like if it was just bumped, one more week right and then could have played i know peter had a limited amount of spots and i still think that um that screening he probably introed on the saturday night where he got a lot of the midnight madness fans to buy tickets to would have been a lot of fun um but that is a movie if you see it with the right audience uh, i think you would have a blast with it but i feel like if you just go to your multiplex at a random time there's going to be some people that don't 
know what they're getting into and are not going to like that movie for it. But especially if you just want a um, traditional jump scare Friday night fright flick. Yeah, if they film. just hear from the director of The Conjuring and the trailer really just makes it look like another kind of James entry Wan in the, yeah movie. yeah and it really doesn't give away some of the more ridiculous kind of stuff in the movie um i feel like that will throw people off and um i think it will be a little divisive with you know everyday audiences because of that like people are just gonna go no it's fucking terrible that like everyone's bad in this movie it's not scary like i understand and the people are just gonna go it's ridiculous and like it's a movie you got to be in the right mindset for and i think we were on board with it and there will be a lot of people who are on board with it but i could see it going the other way as well but like um i had a blast at that movie uh and then cry macho um also didn't i i kind of liked it it was fine it was very kind of chill and um i think it is a perfect spot where if clint eastwood just wanted to kind of you know that's good clint you can go retire and chill for the you know last uh years of your life but um you know i i don't it didn't stick with me but uh i enjoyed it while i watched it yeah it, it's a film that kind of meanders and yeah. as you mentioned it, it does have that kind of you know hangout kind of vibe to it where like the crux of the story is this you know old school uh rodeo star you know goes on one last sort of uh ride and in this case you know he's helping a former employer played by dwight yoakam uh you know get his uh estranged Who's son back. shockingly bad in the movie <laughs> i know and dwight yoakam is usually good i yeah. love him in panic room and yeah. you know like he's amazing in sling blade and anytime he pops up in a movie like the last time i saw him in something that i was like oh it's really great to see you again was in uh logan lucky uh the steven yeah. soderbergh film as as the warden uh but yeah no i agree with you he's he but but that i think goes to the point of like the clint eastwood style of directing of one, take. Where one or two take clint right um and so yeah like it's basically the story of him getting his uh, dwight yoakam's estranged son back to him uh who uh lives in mexico and you can only imagine that it's you know clint's version of mexico where some of it is idyllic and then the other part of it is you know the classic kind of rootin' tootin' cowboys uh versus everyone else kind of style where you know there's some political incorrectness to it all and then the title itself refers to uh a rooster a um, cock yes yes clint's <laughs> cock was the original title but the the studio was like maybe clint you should and it's funny thinking about this as well um because this is this is a a film that clint's been wanting to make for about 30 years and he felt that he was too young for the role 30 years ago <laughs> Um, but now he might be a little too old for the role. It looks like the wind will snap him in He's half very times, frail, yeah. yes. And we don't want to ever make fun of somebody's no. age. But in terms of I mean sort it of more as like certain yes. scenes, it, it, it might be a little bit unbelievable, especially when it comes to him fighting a henchman um, who sent out to sort of retrieve the boy. Uh, His the, arm the, would break. Yes. And the other thing as well with the like this being a Clint Eastwood movie, um, there is this kind of quality that you feel that like Tom Cruise and Vin Diesel have where like he's playing out sort of like certain fantasies in his mind where all the women in this movie yeah. fall in love with him and want to have sex with him <laughs> yeah. in the same way that like uh, one of my favorite screenings I think I've ever 
been to is with you watching the mule and right, right. going through that film and that threesome ooh, scene is just see, so no there's two three, hard, yeah. threesomes in that movie <laughs> and watching clint have his shirt taken off by two younger topless women, women. topless women I, I was like i was watching i was like is this even real? Like this, this yeah. doesn't, yeah. Like this is maybe too much into kind of Clint's sort of mindset. Um, but, but in this, this is... movie, multiple women are like, Ooh, I want this man. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. He's a real man's man. And you're like, I, I mean, I love uh, it's again. I, I never want to poke fun at that. Uh, Cause it's something we talk about that, you know, ageism and, and stuff like that is not something that is maybe taken seriously. And, and mind you, it's just, I almost just want to be like, Clint, you can rest, dude. You just, you could have cast someone else or you could have just, you can just hang up the boots. It's okay. Like, uh, but I get it. Some people like that's, that's his life. And he just wants to keep directing until the day he dies. So, I mean, power to him. The guy works harder and, and faster and, and more than, you know, most people. So, uh, you know, bless him. But, um, you know, it ended up being, you know, it, it's a fine movie. Like It's a perfect nothing. VOD film yeah. in, in yeah. a way. Like it kind of feels like it's one of those movies that you don't have to see in the theater that when it is available on VOD. Or it's um, on HBO what, Max. Right? On HBO so, Max yeah. in the U.S. But in Canada um, or in other parts of the world, when it's available on VOD, it kind of feels almost perfect for that. Where, like, in the past, you could argue, okay, well, some of his movies kind of maybe lend themselves to kind of the scale and scope if he's shooting, you know, a, a postmodern Western or something that kind of has that credibility. Hereafter. But, hereafter. Well, I mean, hereafter speaking is not of a Tiff, film, but yeah. Speaking of Tiff, it was the only movie in recent memory I could not get a ticket for at Tiff. Like, well, it only I remember... had the one screening. Yeah. Right? which and is at the princess of wales yeah no uh the elgin, elgin? i believe okay. yeah i believe did you go to that screening because no, i, I cause remember it was I also couldn't... one of those films that yeah. it's like literally it was one screening it, it, it clint was there so it kind of was like stars matt damon like it yeah. just it had a lot going for it for tiff where the it was one of the only movies in recent memory i remember trying so hard to get a ticket for and couldn't do it and that was god how many years ago now Probably, what 2011 2012 yeah i'm gonna look right now but um either way um i remember hereafter anyway sorry you were saying but yeah yeah movies. yeah but, but but you look like i think the last time like one of his movies was truly like cinematic in in that way was probably like letters from iwo jima <laughs> or you know the yeah the letters from iwo jima or flags with fathers sort of double bill kind of thing um and then even before that like mystic river and and, and what have you but um i love mystic river actually. oh mystic river is great like when clint eastwood is good he's good like i i think unforgiven is truly one of the great all-time sort of deconstructions of a western and sort of looking at what revenge means and and like it's it's undisputed it's a masterpiece and like he's an interesting filmmaker in terms of like what he has kind of been producing but at the same time you have to look at him as well like he's always been one of those guys and I, maybe i've talked about this on the show before or maybe i haven't i i have this weird love hate relationship with him now where as a kid i used to adore him um as like i always wanted to be him like i always thought like he was the kind of guy that you know was a free thinker kind of did his own thing and never kind of you know judged people based on kind of where they fell in and like he was always the guy that was kind of helping those in need mm -hmm. but as you learn more about clint eastwood the person 
you come to realize that, you know, there are things about him that are a little bit unsavory when it comes to his relationship with women, especially Sandra Locke and how he treated her. Um, and, and I still love the movies. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, I think that, you know, the man with no name trilogy and, and a lot of the movies that he's directed, whether it be, you know, play Misty for me or pale rider again, unforgiven, or even into his later stage. Like I'm always fascinated by his career, like even with cry macho, um, but it's just one of those things when you learn more about the person, sometimes you have to kind of have your expectations in check um, yeah. and, and realize that, um, you know, they're far from perfect or they're far from the ideal of what you've envisioned them as. Mm-hmm. No, I, Clint Eastwood was never really my thing. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm guess I've seen more of his stuff that he's directed than even some of his, you know, I think it was just, I was never a Western Kind of did guy you ever watch the Dirty younger. Harry movies or no? Never did anything for yeah. me, man. So I just like I think I've seen the majority of the movies he's directed, but um, I just never went back and because he's just directed never did a lot. Oh, I know. I've seen. I I say majority, but you know, I think he's one of those guys where depending on the, what he's making, um, I go, do I need to go see this or not? Right. And like, I mean, I think his recent stuff since. You know, well, I into think... the 2000s and, and I mean, yeah. you've seen Unforgiven though, right? Yeah, I like, know. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Where like, I, I feel like there was that period after Mystic River where it's like everything he made, people were really excited about. Unforgiven was kind of like that. Unforgiven was his Oscar movie, you know, as well. Because yeah. that was the first time he was nominated and, and won for directing and picture, but he was also nominated for acting. And then Mystic River kind of came up and... <laughs> um. And then, you know, you had Million Dollar Baby, which was that other movie that was kind of like it defined the Oscar season because it was a last minute release. Right. And that was a film that was like, okay, everybody thought Martin Scorsese is finally going to win, you know, his Oscar for The Aviator. Uh, And then Clint Eastwood's like, I'm not through yet. And then, you know, releases (laughs) Million Dollar Baby, which wins, you know, picture and directing and. Uh, best actress for Hillary Swank and supporting. I like Million Dollar Baby too. Yeah, it's it's fine. I I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's like it's a film over that over time people have kind of not. It, it hasn't kind of held its esteem. No, and, and after yeah. winning that, you know, in that year. Um, but yeah, it's just it was just interesting overall. Like his career is just kind of fascinating, going from you know like a TV actor to kind of an Italian sort of Italian American superstar in Sergio Leone Westerns, then coming back and becoming sort of this marquee sort of old school kind of Western uh, crime leading man. And then, you know, kind of slowly becoming this prestigious kind of uh, movie maverick. And Mm -hmm. um, his, his career trajectory has been fascinating. Um, The worst thing he's ever produced is probably Scott Eastwood. um, But (laughs) Uh, besides that, he's just had a really same thing with Tom Hanks with Chet with Chet Hanks. Um, yeah, but uh, just I looking, think that's like most uh, that kind of tracks to me. Like, I guess yeah. I think Chet's probably worse than Scott, but like, yes, um, but being you know kind of an entitled you know son of a of a big movie star, I could see you know. But I also get the bit. feeling, and and again, like I don't, I'm not really that versed in his home life, but you look at Clint Eastwood's marriages and you look at like the affairs that he also had. I almost get the feeling that Clint Eastwood wasn't around for Scott Eastwood. And maybe that's also part of it where he didn't have that father figure or that father in his life that maybe he needed. 
Yeah. Um, but but again, I mean, Scott Eastwood, you never hear anything bad about him. He's not I'm not saying in oh, terms no, no. of I'm just in terms of an actor like actor, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah. You look at Clint Eastwood and even if you don't like Clint Eastwood, you have to admit that he has this charisma and charm that kind of you understand that like that's why he's lasted all these and it's like wyatt russell and kurt russell where i feel like wyatt russell has channeled kurt and has you know has something where you see scott eastwood and you're like not quite yeah not quite as a board where like even like again i don't i don't think colin hanks is, is great by any means but colin hanks is one of those guys where like doesn't have the charm Shit, of his sorry. dad, but he's been able to kind of put himself into character roles, thinking of like Fargo and and things like that, and even Jumanji. Mad Men. Jumanji, <laughs> where like he's okay. It's just that it's yeah, no, like, he's I fine. Feel, yeah. I feel like Colin Hanks is one of those guys that is just like, you know, I'll do my own thing. You know, like yeah, I, I I'll, yeah, he could coast his whole life if he wants, but he'll take an acting role here and there. And he's yeah, totally the closest fine. he ever came to trying to kind of like be a big name or break out was Orange County with Jack Black. <laughs> oh God, yeah, that was perfect for us. Um, Eric, we've gone twenty minutes without mentioning the Super Mario Brothers movie cast because I know this is our TIFF wrap up episode. We'll get to that. That'll be the big topic at the end. I think. Does that I, make sense? No, this will TIFF be the or big topic. We? I know, but like Tiff, we should cover. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, tip, we'll get through like, that. I mean, I think we should kind of you know uh, tie up. Any these are the hot the and... hot button topics that we yes. need to talk about before we get to our. Okay, yeah, we finished up Tiff. Here's some good movies that we saw that we didn't necessarily cover. So on, I think it was what was it like Friday, Friday, Thursday, Friday of last week. I it forget. was last week sometime. It was it was all a blur. There was a Nintendo Direct, which if you're not a video game person, Nintendo does these little virtual press conferences where they announce new games and things that are coming up, trailers, things like that. Um and, you know, you tune in if you're a Nintendo fan because you want to see what new games are coming out. You want to see, oh, I want to play Mario Party at the end of the year. Let's see that Animal Crossing. Yay. <clears throat> but then halfway through we get shiguru miyamoto come out and say hey the mario brothers movie illuminations making it you guys know that we don't have anything to show you guys today but we do have the cast we do have headshots that have been we do have headshots which are always wonderful we see them during disney uh, conferences that we go to every year where they don't have anything to show you but we do have professional headshots with a title of who they're playing um, which I don't think anyone was expecting to get during this presentation, although it does kind of make sense. So everyone's like, oh, is Charles Martinet going to be playing Mario? Because he's played Mario for 30 years, 30 right. plus years. Um, so, but Mario doesn't necessarily have a lot of dialogue in the games. It goes, it's a me, a Mario. And then like that space, and like he basically says little quips and he doesn't speak. Peach speaks sometimes. You know, no one else really. Well, speaks he does power. say battle in 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 uh, sure. Mario Kart sixty four. Yeah, yeah, he does say little. Yeah, yeah, he does say little words here and there, right? And you know what? Yeah, you know what Mario sounds like, and you know Luigi and Toad and, and ah, like Toad makes weird noises and shit like that. I mean, Mario Anyways. sounds like Bob Hoskins. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, we come out first thing we see Chris Pratt playing mario and you're like oh no (laughs) you're like no and then one we've talked enough about chris pratt one i don't i know his again talking about someone whose politics and kind of stuff is a little uh, not so great um 
Then you go, he's been in everything in the last, you know, five to ten years. Well, the studio system um, has been trying to force him to become a movie too. star, right? Where we liked the Tomorrow War, we, we admitted I did, the film. Uh, and I thought he was good in that. And, and we um, like him in supporting roles. Moneyball, he's great, which just celebrated yep. its 10th uh, anniversary. Um, Zero I think Dark he's great 30. in Parks and Rec is yep. a comedic, and I think this Mario movie will be comedic, obviously being from Illumination. But he also played, you know, the lead in the Lego movie, right? Yeah, uh, which is yeah, Emmett in the Lego movie, um, which is I'm assuming going to have like a similar vibe to this movie. Um, and I don't know. Then you're like, OK, that's that's weird. But OK, next up, you're like Princess Peach is playing by Anya Taylor-Joy. And you're like, OK, all right. Well, I, I think that that actually like if you look at that cast. No, I think it's for the most part. I think that is the that that is quote unquote the i mean yes chris pratt is is, is oh i'll get to all of this but i do think that but, casting is good on uh, yeah and, and i almost feel like it's like how how did you get her because you look yeah. at she's got about like five or six films and yes i know it's only you know she goes into a a, a voice booth and records or soundproof booth but and does like 48 hours or something like that but like out of all those names it, that is the one that kind of feels like the most in touch with sort yeah. of what's going on now where Chris Pratt kind of feels like it's somebody that thinks that like guardian, the first guardians just came out, came out and yeah. he's still a superstar where he's kind of like his credibility is kind of waned a little bit. Yeah. So the Chris Pratt was shocking Anya Taylor joy. I'm like, I like that casting. I think, you know, her voice would be well suited for princess peach. And I think that's kind of cool. And like you said, I'm surprised they got her. Um, then you get, Charlie Day is Luigi, which I'm like, is I just like, I don't, I don't understand, but okay. You know what? I'm here for it. Like I'm, you know what? I don't get also it. Also in but, the Lego movie. Um, yes. As the spaceman, right? Yeah. Like, um, and, um, there's that Chris uh, Miller, I think, uh, posted them with mustaches and like, <laughs> and the Mario hats on. I wore a green toque in honor of Luigi. Um, then you get Jack Black as Bowser and I'm like, that's kind of perfect and I'm into this. <laughs> and I'm like, I have no idea what that's going to be. I love Jack Black. Um, will he be and, as good as uh, Dennis Hopper's King Koopa? We'll, we'll uh, find we'll out. We'll have to find out. Um, and then you get something uh, random with Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I have no idea where this movie's going. And then Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong, which I'm like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I have no idea. Like all of these characters to me, cause I'm a huge Nintendo kid. Like I grew up, I love Mario so much. And I, I, the NES and the super NES and uh, the Nintendo 64, which they just announced for the virtual console on switch. Um, I just, every Nintendo system I've, I've owned, I've played every single Mario game and it's those characters are so iconic to me. I can't, envision these big i'll only hear these actors and stuff and coming out of the you know what these characters are it just doesn't make any sense and i think everyone lost their minds because of this like seth rogan is donkey kong is so funny to me and then um then you have like they announced some of the uh, other people in the movie so you have fred armison as cranky kong uh kevin michael richardson is uh as comic which makes more sense because he is a voice actor um and then uh, Sebastian uh, Maniscalco as Foreman Spike. And then Charles Martinet will be in the movie in surprise cameos, uh, whatever that means. And I'm sure this is only a fraction of the cast because I'm, I'm assuming this will be like the lead cast. Um, Who is playing and then, Wario and Waluigi God, you gotta and think, Yoshi? 
because you got to think that it will kind of be like the Lego movie where they'll get a bunch of people to just do small cameo roles and they'll be big name actors, much like, you know, uh, you know, Charlie Day. Well, he was more of a lead in, in some of the Lego movies, but you had like uh, Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill as Superman and Green Lantern and, yeah. and stuff like that. And you had people pop in and, and Colby do Smulders as, as Wonder Woman. And, yeah. yeah. And stuff like that. So I have a feeling that's maybe what we'll get with all these other Nintendo characters. So Jared Leto, like, there's still a chance for him to show still up. still a chance. I, I think yeah. the one I laughed at the most in terms of like everybody kind of like trolling those uh sort of that reaction to yeah. the announcement was some i can't twitter lost their twitter, minds it was funny uh because it was just a deluge of 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 tweets with someone was like laurie metcalf is yoshi <laughs> yeah it's yeah. like hey i'm up yeah. for it yeah i that's what you could someone there was a great tweet thread was like you could put any actor headshot beside any character from mario and i'd believe it with this cast you just put anyone and anyone and there's a great thread on twitter that's just people putting headshots and headshots uh, uh, of mario characters with random ass actors uh i think one was like a warp pipe and 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 daniel day lewis <laughs> and something or like and you're like yeah that makes sense oh like and, the 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 uh, little shop of horrors kind of uh, yeah the plant piranha creature. plant piranha plant yeah that was one of them too and so i am again i'm not a huge illumination fan like i hate the minions i think and uh, eric i think you're in the same boat with me there yeah. um and i just a lot of illumination movies have not landed with me like I, I left secret life of pets i uh i didn't mind sing I think the Grinch movie is just, you know, derivative and kind of pointless. Um, I like the first Despicable Me movie. Uh, never even saw the Lorax or Minions. Um, so I'm kind of just like, I feel like they're all over the place to me. And I just, I, that worries me maybe the most. But with Nintendo being involved and Miyamoto being involved and it says Nintendo and illumination presents like Nintendo's like, no, you have to have our branding right on there. Um, and they want to be in control because of the live action version of super Mario brothers almost kind of, well, not, it didn't destroy their brand or their reputation, but it was kind of something that you, you can tell that after that, they haven't really been involved with the film industry since then. Mm -hmm. No, they haven't done a single. They were they're very protective of their properties usually. And um their quality control is usually pretty good. Like they they really don't put out stuff that is horrible. And and someone might go, "Well, you're wrong." blah blah blah. I, I the think GameCube. Like, um I really think that they make a lot of weird decisions and a lot of bad decisions when it comes to you know things with their games and stuff like that like but their quality control for mario specifically and and their big characters is usually uh pretty good um so I, i'm i'm fascinated by this i think this cast is absolutely bananas um, it almost feels like a like a a game of of roulette in terms of its casting, where it's just like let's just see where you know the the ball lands, and if it for lands, a big name comedic actor, or whatever, yeah, and right? then we'll just yeah. we'll just pick them, you know, like Jack Black could be Mario, you know, like you could you could switch yeah. those roles, and it almost feels like Pratt would almost actually be better as Bowser. And I'm like, is Chris Pratt going to do a voice? Is he going to just oh, be God. Chris Pratt? Like that's this is what. 
this is what I'm fat. I have no idea what any of these people are going to sound like. I'm assuming Seth Rogen will just sound like Seth Rogen for Donkey Kong. With his and laugh. I'm like, and Keegan Michael Key will just sound like Keegan Michael Key as Toad. And like Jack Black will probably just be Jack Black. The people, I'm like, Chris Pratt and Charlie Day as Mario and Luigi. I'm struggling. I'm like, are they just going to be Chris Pratt and Charlie Day? And I'm assuming that's what they'll just sound like. Everyone is just going to sound like themselves. Yeah. And- well, you think of you think of Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo as well. Like, I mean, they just sounded, you know, classic and Italians, American, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I mean. And again, Mario is you know created by a Japanese company. Like, it's not like it's an Italian stereotype itself, and like, it's not necessarily like, oh, I can't believe. Like, I made joke. Everyone made jokes on Twitter about all of this of like, oh, real Italian Chris Pratt and stuff, and like, and Bob Hoskins too. But like, um, it, I, I'm just fascinated, Eric, because like, I just, I love, I love Mario. I want this movie to be good. Or at least fun. And you know what? It's so batshit like with this cast and I just can't even envision their voices as these characters that I'm all in on it. Where I'm like, I cannot wait to see what this is. It'll either be a train wreck or it'll be a pleasant surprise of going like, that was a fun kids movie. And um, I don't know. With Illumination, like obviously like they're from a technical standpoint, like the movie will look really nice. And um, I have no doubt. I have no idea what the story I'm assuming it'll be a classic, you know, Bowser steals the princess kind of thing. And Mario has to, but involving donkey Kong, that means like they're starting to involve. Well, that here, I guess Mario and donkey Kong are very connected because of the original donkey Kong game. And Mario was saving the princess from donkey Kong and that original, you know, that original game where he's climbing up. Yeah. From the movie pixels. Yes. Thank you. Um, (laughs) God damn it. Um, I never know how much video game stuff I need to explain or not. No, no, no. I, I know the. Basics I don't want to. I don't want to game explain things like. No, yeah. no, no. I, I, and I appreciate that because I know the basics when it comes to the Nintendo stuff. Uh, up until the end of N sixty four, my brother Kyle, who's still a gamer, uh, kind of went on to GameCube before switching over to Xbox. Hmm. Um, so what is your read? Do you think this is going to be a train wreck? Do you think it'll be perfectly fine? Like, do you think like? It'll well, I think that it's animated that that like again, you know, you brought up some, some you know some criticisms and some sort of uh, skepticism towards. I guess the Sonic movie is maybe a good comparison of yeah, know, but, but you brought up you know the skepticism towards Illumination as a whole. But I think yeah. at least if you're doing an animated film, there's more control over the overall look and feel and design and you know like with the live action kind of movie, like, you know, if you've read or, or seen any of the behind the scenes features, you know, that that film went through multiple reincarnations in the script. It, and what it we had, got is just wild, <laughs> but it, but it like, again, like there were so many behind the scenes problems where that film was falling apart at the seams and it became a nightmare to make and lost so much money. Where at least if you're doing an animated film, you don't have to worry about the logistics of like, you know, shooting on a specific day or certain soundstage or having the actors, you know, in this scene or worrying about the actor's safety because Bob Hoskins, you know, has talked about being, you know, he was electrocuted on set of uh, the Super Mario Brothers uh, film and and John Lugazamo has been very much candid about his experience on that movie and thinking about like, it was it was down to John Leguizamo and Tom Hanks uh, for Luigi uh, back in 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 the early nineties. And Imagine. at that time, 
Tom Hanks is sort of uh, box office was, was fading because after big, he did the Brian De Palma movie uh, bonfire of the vanities and, and, and things like that. And, and so it wasn't until um, a league of their own where he kind of came back, but the people that were making super Mario brothers, like we don't want Tom. <laughs> so it's just kind of baffling. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be one of those movies where it's like, it'll be fine. It'll be totally fine. I, I think, think it that will it's be animated. Fine. Yeah. It's playing it safe. If it were live action or a combination of live action and like animated like Sonic, but it will be interesting to see how this does, how the last of us series does. And like, I feel like this is, this is like the ultimate kind of last stand for this and the video. last of us, I think are perfect examples of these are the two video game things that need to be good <laughs> and even even sonic 2 i think to yeah. a certain extent because it because of that first one doing so well and they maybe they want to prove that paramount wants to prove that it wasn't just sort of a you know a, a flash in the one pan and done kind of yeah. thing um but i i almost feel like this is the last stand for a lot of um video game adaptations and i'm not including resident evil welcome to raccoon city but like it just kind of feels like okay like if these don't work we're probably going to see the studios go off Just, of them completely. We're not touching them. But yeah. if they do, you're going to see them buy up every single property that there is and 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 sort of basically not only green light certain things, but sort of basically just get them into production like even something like the metal gear solid movie where i feel like they're almost kind of waiting not necessarily on those films just to kind of see like okay let's see what the next couple of years are like and mm -hmm. and decide whether or not that's going to work and i agree yeah it, it's like with board game movies like there was a period where where everyone bought monopoly and yeah ridley <laughs> scott was going to direct yeah. the monopoly movie and then you you know you had battleship go into production and and studios were like okay maybe this is going to be the next kind of big trend to <laughs> kind of compete with and superhero films yeah and it wasn't it wasn't at all although when they start playing battleship with real battleships where it's like b42 <laughs> or whatever and like oh god what a movie um yeah i totally agree with you and i feel like if this is successful we'll see illumination do a new nintendo movie i think every couple years like we'll get a zelda movie we'll get i want star you know, fox star I fox down for star dude they're fox. they're absolutely i would love a star fox movie with puppets because that's originally how they did the uh the star fox characters and stuff like that but well, there was the college um, humor um wes anderson yeah uh, star fox video where they Which did the great. stop mode it, it's amazing and it was almost like i wish this was real like it was too yeah. good to be a parody like that's that's how you know the quality was but i like the, out of any of them the star fox movie would kind of make the most sense just in terms i think of, zelda too though Z but. yeah yeah sci-fi and fantasy in general would be the most kind of popular to adapt um and for you know the adult crowd maybe conquer's bad fur day I mean, which is Microsoft now because right, they bought, right. it was they Nintendo bought though, Rare. originally, right? Well, that Rare, uh, Rare, who made a lot of the Donkey Kong Country games, um, was partnered with Nintendo to make a lot of those games. They made uh, Conker's Bad Fur Day. They made the Donkey Kong games. They made Donkey Kong 64. Uh, but they sold to Microsoft uh, years back. So Microsoft now owns Conker and um, and some of that stuff. But you could even see been... them getting into it, right? Like even something oh, with, yeah. like Sony with like, I mean, obviously we're getting Uncharted, which it's still kind of hard to believe that that's actually coming in. And again, in February look, or March look, or something. Look at the casting on that. Like not Tom Holland per se, but I know you've been talking about Mark Wahlberg or as Wahlberg. Solid 
Spielberg as Sully is the worst. Miscast. I just don't know. I gotta see that, but like I just don't know. But yeah, and and you could even see like something like Crash Bandicoot, right? Where like I feel yeah. like that would be a property as well. An animated with, movie, yeah. You know the success of Sonic and possibly Mario, like you know Sony wanting to put their uh, hat in the game as well. So yeah, Naughty Dog uh, still no Activision owns Crash Bandicoot. Naughty Dog used to make it. Who made Uncharted and and The Last of Us uh, made Crash Bandicoot, but Crash they didn't own Crash Bandicoot. I think so. I think Activision owns Crash Bandicoot now. But yeah, I think a lot is relying on. Mario and The Last of Us, which are both coming next year. And um, I I do think that it'll be interesting to see if Nintendo goes and partners with other studios for things. Like, I know there was that rumored Legend of Zelda movie or a TV show at Netflix, which just fell apart. Um, And then this Mario movie is happening. We have a cast. We have a poster. Like, it's going to come out, which is wild. And I, it'll be interesting if it's successful. Do they just partner with them? And maybe we get a Donkey Kong spinoff movie, right? Like, Donkey Kong Country makes sense. Like the be. Lego films, um, right? Yeah, like Donkey Kong Country makes sense to be... Uh, a spinoff from this Mario movie, and then you get Luigi's haunted mansion. Yeah, Luigi's <laughs> mansion. Like uh, people, there will be spinoffs, like a Smash, and then maybe it's leading up to like an Avengers style Super Smash Brothers movie, right? Like, right. I-, I could see that kind of stuff happening, where you're getting a Nintendo like. Universal would love a cinematic universe and an animated one for children as well, right? So you have all these Kirby Nintendo would be huge characters. Kirby, yeah, like you could do all of this stuff. And and if Illumination is going to be that studio that builds this kind of like they've made five Despicable Me movies with the two Minion ones and the three um, Despicable Me movies, so I can't see why if this wasn't successful that they wouldn't do spinoffs and and things like that. But um, I don't think it's going to be a train wreck. Like I think. The voices be will fine. be. I think it was live action. There would be more of a, sure, a possibility yeah. for it being a complete and utter disaster. Oh God! If it was Chris Pratt and Charlie Day is in a live action Mario movie, but um, I think the animation will be gorgeous. I think it'll be pretty faithful to with Nintendo being so heavily involved, and that's something that I've talked about, right? With Naughty Dog being very involved in the Last of Us series, and they brought in the director and the writer of the game and and stuff like that. Like it seems like these video game studios aren't just selling their ip off and then going do whatever you want and then because well, like, they've walk. learned from that right because <laughs> yeah. when you do that you get an assassin's creed or you get a max Payne, and you know yes you 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 make money off of that sale but they're probably also looking at it like how is it going to affect you know um gameplay and 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 people's interest in it afterwards because i know that's you a still great like point. hitman yeah. but i'm sure the hitman movies the hitman awful. movies are are terrible but like you you look at those those films and it's like they're not they're i mean what they're basically doing for the for you know these these game studios is they're advertising the game to interest people that maybe so there's no that's why i think there's no way this is bad because nintendo cares way too much about mario to and his future to for this to be an absolute shit show nightmare like there's no way i will call it right now there's no way this movie is horrible at worst, it's going to be perfectly Middle of the fine. road. Yeah. Like forgettable. Like, oh, that was cute, but it's not going to ruin Mario. Um, <clears throat> so I, I don't know. Like, that's why I have a little bit of faith. And then it could go the other route where it's great. Like, and that's what I hope. Like, I, I really hope this is more Lego movie than anything. Right. And I know the directors on it are the two guys who directed Teen Titans go to the movies, um, which I 
actually quite enjoyed i thought was really clever and and really fun and if they take that kind of vibe and that they took with dc characters in that movie and apply it to nintendo characters like i think you could have something that's really fun here and uh, you know i think nintendo just because these characters haven't been voiced by anyone else i think that's the most jarring thing where you know we're used to other voice actors like nicholas cage can come in and be superman in the teen titans go movie even that's a kind of a meta joke in itself but um you can well, have Batman, different voice though, actors. I, w- I would look yeah. at like like kevin how Conroy many different and is... how many different actors have come in and done batman's voice right, right. like but it, just um, in terms of like the casting of chris pratt i think also like the biggest thing in terms of my criticisms is just that there's no imagination there like it just kind of feels like oh they cast him because one you know he worked as emmett in the lego movie and he's done a lot of voice work now uh, and two, it's just like, there, I mean, you didn't, yeah, you probably should have gone with an Italian American actor, but at the same time, it's like, why do you, did you just go with Chris Pratt? Like you could have gone with anybody. Like it just feels very, um, limited in terms of just being creative in terms of the casting. And yeah. I think that's probably maybe. It's not very inspired. Let's no, say like, no. it's and, just very like, who's the most vanilla choice for this almost like that's exactly. kind of how i think where i do think like charlie day as luigi is more like out there i think to me than chris pratt as mario and like the rest of the cast i think is more inspired than chris pratt as mario like i'd almost be totally fine with all of this if it was someone else than chris pratt and i don't know who i'd even want but um i've just softened on him and and, and things like so i don't know uh, but I, I mean, I if it was Mark Rylance, good. it would be better. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it. Um, then moving over maybe to the last of us, and then we can go into bond because you mentioned Hitman, and, uh, funnily enough, the Hitman team is making a J- James Bond game now. So like, and I was watching quantum of solace and we can get into that. Um, I think we should save the bond stuff for no time to die when we you just want to include it in the review. Like, yeah, because I, I think that that would be the best place for that since yeah, we have be, yeah. a lot of the TIFF stuff to cover and also the Nolan stuff. And I think cool. Like, yeah, that's a good we point. can look at sort of Daniel Craig. And I still haven't watched Spectre yet. Yeah. And I haven't watched I haven't, I haven't rewatched Skyfall or Spectre yet either. Um, I mean, I've seen Spectre. I just haven't rewatched it. I'm in the middle of my rewatch. I just it came top of mind because you mentioned Hitman, and I. But it's still my, worth yeah. My one yeah. point about sure. Quantum of Solace is just I was watching that movie and I was like, oh yeah, the Hitman team is making a Bond game. I'm like, that's gonna be awesome because there's a couple sequences in that where I'm like, just could envision the Hitman style of gameplay in a Bond game, and it's gonna be fantastic. Uh, the Last of Us don't have much to say. I said, oh hell yeah to the image, but it's literally the back of Pedro Pascal and and um uh bella Ram- no what, bella, what yeah yeah bella, bella ramsey yeah uh their heads um but i like the aspect ratio it's not quite uh one uh one eight five it looked like like it looked like it had a little bit of a taller shallower aspect ratio um uh which is really really cool um and yeah i'm all for it like it looked great it looked like a screenshot from the video game um but don't have much else to say i wish we got a little bit more because it was outbreak day on the 26th which is the last of us day every year oh the uh, wolfgang uh peterson film <laughs> yeah They're celebrating um, that movie <laughs> yeah 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 with so, three problematic leads in renee russo oh is it oh, well because you have dustin hoffman kevin spacey right. and cuba gooding jr right um so i wish we got a little bit more from it but 
Uh, I wish maybe a teaser or something like that, but uh, I'm I'm here for it. Either It'll way. probably come at the end of the year because HBO usually has like they 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 do it every kind of sort of um, tier where they'll have like oh HBO in a year. So I I guarantee that we'll probably see some of the first footage for the the show probably in their like New Year's reel. Hmm. Hmm. Um. I just can't wait for it. Um, cannot wait. And then the other big piece of news before we get into the TIFF stuff, uh, speaking of Universal, which we were just talking about with Illumination and Mario, uh, Chris Nolan uh, did what we all thought he would do and said goodbye to Warner Brothers because he was pissed uh, about their HBO Max strategy in 2021. And he went to the highest bidder, uh, which happened to be Universal. And the terms of his deal were uh, insane. Um, and he got exactly what he wanted. He's one of those filmmakers that can go, this is what I want. I want final cut. I want a hundred million dollar budget. I want no movies to be released by your studio three weeks before my movie and three weeks after my movie. And, and I want an exclusive window of like a hundred days in theaters. Right. As well as like a marketing budget to match the budget of the film, which is another hundred million (laughs) dollars. Yeah. And then I think there were some more things in there. Obviously, final cut, obviously, complete control. Like he gets the final say on everything. And, um, you know, I think that made a couple people walk. I forget who it was. I think it was Apple or someone was like, nah, <laughs> and like, and peaced out, even though he let them come in and pitch. Um, and then I think it was down to Sony and Universal, correct? Yeah. And, and I, think- I was thinking it would be Sony because you think of the, the way that they wooed Tarantino uh, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, that those guys are kind of on the same page when it comes to the theatrical experience. And, uh, you know, like Universal does have Peacock and obviously, you know, with Halloween uh, kills, you know, they're releasing that day and date now. So there's this sort of maybe uh intrepidation when it comes to certain filmmakers now thinking oh well if my movie isn't uh good enough to play theatrically or given the times that we're in they might you know throw it on on peacock in the u.s and like there's well, i think you're gonna see a lot more filmmakers now put a clause in their deal that says it hat yeah. you cannot you cannot put it on streaming before it's in theaters there's a movie on peacock right now that i didn't even know about until yesterday that was released at the beginning of september and it has had no marketing whatsoever and it's from uh james demonico the director of the purge movies where he made his like little staten island um sort of 80s throwback going to the movies and all happening over the course of one night with uh frank grillo and naomi watts called this is the night where you know a version of of him as a kid goes to see rocky three and kind of gets into all these weird adventures and it's like there's been no advertising on that film whatsoever yeah i, I have no know. idea it exists yeah and it's it's out it's it's on peacock right now and i was thinking like because they were talking to him and i was thinking oh because the the forever purge was just released on vod so maybe it was just kind of one of those things on collider and that film is available now in in the u.s and i was like i, I hadn't even seen a trailer for that thing um and apparently yeah. like it's so so yeah like Nolan's one of those guys where it's like thinking like you want him to be almost like he would make an amazing lawyer, <laughs> um, but he's also showing that he's also a bit of a control freak and a bit of a, a jerk uh, at the same time in terms of how, you know, like his thinking 
is obviously thinking of you know a past era you know he's not willing to adapt or or change he wants the medium to stay the same and yeah he's he's a filmmaker whose movies are event films and the movie being about you know uh genius physicist uh robert oppenheimer does sound intriguing especially considering that nolan hasn't done quote unquote and and who knows that this is going to be a traditional biography there's there's still not really anything known on the plot um this could be about uh the life of oppenheimer it could be specifically focused on the manhattan project which was him and uh other colleagues and physicists creating the atomic bomb um who knows but he's always kind of wanted to dabble he has dabbled in history obviously with with dunkirk and um even to a a very lesser extent with the, the prestige, prestige with, yeah. with you know Nikolai tesla um but you but he had always been wanting to do the howard hughes movie with jim carrey right and then that was kind of um put into turnaround because of the scorsese film that was produced by michael mann the aviator um so it, it it would be curious to see if he does go the more traditional biography route but from the point of view of telling it from his style or is he telling a film that is a little bit more abstract in the creation of the most deadliest weapon known to man um i think will be fascinating and there's also rumors that killian murphy could play oppenheimer and i'm sure it's going to be a large cast but um if you look at oppenheimer's career and life there's some interesting stuff there um sort of his relationships and sort of um the after effect and you can have this interesting conflict that he was a guy that you know, created this horrible weapon that literally is the most sort of, it, it is a weapon of mass destruction and the only, you know, country in the world to use a weapon of mass destruction was the U.S. So there is conflict there in, in terms of the storytelling, um, but is it going to kind of be more kind of cut and dry with its narrative structure or is it going to find a way to, you know, play with time the way that he has with a lot of his movies? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, we go back and forth on Nolan. I, I love the guy. I, uh, you know, you have a, a dark Knight tattoo or a Batman tattoo. Um, yes. and you know, Nolan was the guy for the longest time, especially when we were coming up as, you know, young men, I guess, in really into movies and, you know, and me and blockbuster cinema and stuff like that. Like, you know, Batman begins going into the dark night and like, you know, and he's still one of the number one guys, which is why he can, you know, even after tenant being kind of a bomb, like, um, which, you know, asterisk because of the situation we were in, but, um, it's just, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't love some of the stuff he says sometimes where it feels like he's a little full of himself. And, you know, I think that kind of comes across in, in this deal where he's holier than thou or I'm better than everyone kind of thing. But, um, you well, know, he doesn't I, take I will... into account the pandemic because part yeah. of the tenant was like in all of his his interviews and conversations, it's like you're not even acknowledging the fact that we're going through this major change that could, you know, if you go and see this movie, you could die if you get sick you know and like he never even acknowledged the fact that people were getting sick it was all about releasing his film and i mean maybe part of that was why i had a negative approach to the movie but you watch that film and you're like there's this was not worth all of that kind of you know uh 
posturing of him being, you know, about the cinema as the savior of cinema. And I think that is the thing that he's going to really have to do some retconning on in terms of uh, reapproaching the, the situation. And, and, and yeah, he's, he's not, he's not a charming and, and, you know, affable filmmaker. He's a cold clinical guy who's very much, you know, style over substance and interested in sort of breaking down, the world in in that kind of way, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's just no. that you look at someone like Chloe Zhao, for instance, you know, who, you know, is riding high off of the the success of Nomad Land going into Eternals. If she had something original to pitch, she couldn't do what Nolan did. Yeah. And there is this kind of white man kind of like overbearing I'm the, I have to be number one kind of thing that's going on as well with Nolan, where part of it is also there's that sort of toxic fandom that comes into play as well, where like anything that you criticize when it comes to Nolan or Denny Villeneuve or, you know, Zack Snyder, um, people don't want to hear it. His fan base just will not. There's no nuance. You know, Oh, credit. How dare you criticize our Messiah? And it's just one of the, because we both love Nolan, but like, I think he's not, he's He's open to criticism. To, yeah. yeah. To criticism. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the thing. So again, I, am I excited for the movie? Of course. Um, <clears throat> and it's interesting now he's partnered with a new studio and you know how that's going to play out. I'm sure it'll, you know, it'll be pretty normal, but um, we won't see a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. So, you know, ultimately he's had basically final cut and all this stuff on his last bunch of movies anyway. So um I think it's just going to have a different logo in front of it. And that's pretty much the only difference we're going to see. But yeah, um, like he'll probably still just... hire Hoyt Van Hoytema and, you know, it, you'll probably have. A, Do you think a, Wally a... Fister is just going to go back to being a cinematographer? What, what's after he did Transcendence or what happened to that guy? Well, he he directed some TV. I think he did a couple episodes of the Amazon series, The Tick. Okay. Um, But that's a good question because he, I mean, he was a very talented um cinematographer, cinematographer yeah. you know i mean the guy even shot moneyball you know and and so i don't know i i think transcendence is one of those movies that truly is a career killer in a lot of ways and somebody had to pay for that film quote unquote and he was the one that really sort of took the brunt of that you know mm-hmm. um and maybe rightfully so because it is a horrible film. Oh, it's awful. Um, but it's just a shame because it's, it's his trajectory is kind of fascinating as well, because you have a guy who started, who started in softcore um, adult Born? films oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the late eighties, early nineties. And then, you know, kind of hitches his wagon to Christopher Nolan and does some really great stuff. I mean, he won an Oscar for, for inception. Um, but yeah, I just feel like that transition from cinematographer to director just didn't work. And there's there's not as many transitions there. Like, I think one of the most successful is probably someone like Alfonso Cuaron, who went to school for cinematography, but mm-hmm. ultimately became uh, a director or, you know... It wasn't Barry, Barry Sonnefeld, yeah, yeah, who yeah. worked for the Coen brothers. But even him, like, you look at... Like, yeah, he directed uh the adams family movies and the men in black Black, films but then you know as soon as he makes nine lives uh (laughs) that cat movie with kevin spacey um you know he's he's basically gone to television now and and netflix i think he did the lemony snicket series oh and didn't he just do that musical uh series on apple right 
didn't he? I forget what it, uh, Schmigadoon. Yeah. He directed all the episodes of Schmigadoon. And he's a very likable, like he's one of those guys where like, I could listen to him talk for hours. Like if you, you do you have the, the blood simple Blu-ray? on criterion uh no i don't have blood simple okay no. that is definitely worth picking up because there's an audio commentary with the cohen's and uh barry sonfeld and sonfeld talks about like not having watched any of the cohen brothers movies past the films that he shot with them that, <laughs> that his his movie oh so they recorded the it more recently like yeah yeah so, and yeah. that he that because they're, they're still but they're still buddies like they, they didn't yeah. have falling out or anything it's just sonfeld went on to become a director to do his own stuff but it's yeah. like yeah i don't think any of the uh coen brothers movies you know past my work are as good as as, as the ones that we did <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's some good shit um did you want to talk about anything else like that you've been watching or anything or should we go into just tiff stuff or I think we should um, kind of wrap or the with, netflix with... stuff like i don't know there's not much to touch on on the to yeah stuff. Like, yeah you you mentioned um, the netflix stuff so we got a release date for Cobra Kai season four, which I think is the biggest uh, thing, which is December 31st. So two seasons of Cobra Kai in one year, January 1st and December 31st, uh, which I think is fantastic. Uh, little snippet. Terry Silver. Yeah. You got that ponytail, baby. Um, really quick trailer. Um, I will say that with Cobra Kai, the trailers never make the show look as good as it is. They're always kind of corny and bad. And I get the show is kind of corny at times, but it's like a, a fun corny. But uh, the trailers always have this really generic, like, like, like really generic titles and editing to make it look like this really cheap looking, like, like, like if you're not interested in Cobra Kai already, there's nothing in that trailer that I think would have made you excited about Cobra Kai, um, which is unfortunate. I just feel like the marketing for that show can never nail what that show actually is. Uh, and they make it they try to maybe appeal to everyone and make these very generic kind of trailers. Um, so that's my only thing about the I don't know if you felt the same. Eric, yeah, I mean, it. it's yeah. it's. Like if you were watching this and and you were here, like you know now that it is a uh, Emmy nominated uh, show Netflix for Netflix original series for for best is it drama comedy no oh, comedy comedy, comedy. Yeah, yeah. it would be better if it was best drama it actually be funny <laughs> uh, for best comedy it's like you think oh maybe I'll give this a go now that it's kind of been dubbed an award nominated thing um, it, it to me kind of feels like they they're like to your point they're they're trying to sell to everybody where they sh should just be selling to you know the people that have become fans and then you know in part you know you're being specific where then i think more people would be interested to be like okay you know what maybe i should go back to the start and and watch this thing that is very you know specific because again you know we're talking netflix right now a lot of netflix programming whether it be film or television you got to cut through the noise, right? Like there's just so much of it that it's almost like you look at like, like even when you're, you're, you're not watching something and your, and your, your TV goes into that kind of browser mode where like you see like certain shows or movies coming to Netflix and you're like, yeah. I haven't even heard of this. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, how do you, how do you make a show stand out? Not just based on the material that's in the show but the actual advertising i think you, they just from a marketing background yeah. it's, it's 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 a question that i think i like i would it's not necessarily like it, i don't think it's necessarily 
quantity over quality more so than they just rely on people finding this stuff out through their own circles does that make sense like but it does put like a a quantity thing in general it is quantity in general they want to make something for everyone right which is why i don't think that they care that they release so much at the same time every week right because they're not trying to make something for everyone they they are trying to make something for everyone, but not everything is for everyone. So yeah. what they're doing is releasing a metric shit ton of content and some stuff they don't even put marketing dollars behind and some things they don't because they kind of rely on you being on Twitter or on your favorite website or whatever to find out about the things that you're interested in, I think. So like whether it's a creator you're interested in, a director, an actor, um, whatever, I think they're relying pretty heavily on you going, I'm interested in vacation shows. So I'm going to know about world's best vacation rentals just because I'm interested in that. So I will probably find out about that through other things. And maybe these things are being more targeted marketing in places where, you know, we're not going. So we don't see the marketing on a lot of that stuff where, if it was something we were interested in, they would market it to us, or maybe we're just not paying attention to that, where we know about the movies that are coming out for the most part, because that's the world that we live in every day. Um, or some of the shows, like we knew Midnight Mass came out and things like that. Like, and I don't see big mass Netflix campaigns like on TV and, and you know, things like that. You go and seek out a trailer because we're on Twitter and the people we follow are interested in similar things. So we see when a trailer drops or something like that, where I, I I don't know, like, I feel like they just, they make something for everyone and they go, you know what you're into and you will find it if it's for you. And then they kind of rely on that. Right. And then, but it's also um, exhausting as well. Just thinking of like what you have to keep up with in terms of like, okay. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, the Mike Flanagan show midnight mass, which I'll probably, you know, maybe I'll get to in October. Yeah. 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 But then you think at the same time, it's like, okay, between now and you know, the next week or the next two weeks, I'm sure there's Mm going to be like five or six other shows or movies that you're going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. And then that other show kind of just dissipates. Yeah. Like, like everything that Netflix releases when it comes to series, even some films, um, it's like it's very much in the moment and then it kind of disappears and then like you you like the longevity of of netflix programming doesn't seem to be something they're necessarily thinking of no like you because they always have new stuff so they just they're like that's fine yeah everything from you know the queen's gambit to the tiger king which got a season two uh announcement with the tadum stuff um you just think it's like okay it's it's out of any of the streaming services or or television providers or studios right now, I would say 99% of what Netflix has to offer is just disposable. Like it, it just doesn't – it doesn't hold Have a lasting impression. Over a week. Like it, it just kind of it, – it I agree with you. Goes. And I think they have very few things that kind of, um, you know, uh, stand the test of time because of that reason. And even if you look at this Tadum event in general, it's exactly what we were just talking about. It's not like a targeted, 
um, well, we're going to do a thing about Stranger Things and let that be the focus. It's like, no, we're going to give you a hundred fucking trailers and we're going to give you 40 different announcements. And they don't care if you're not interested in all of it, because if you're interested in Stranger Things, you're going to go watch the Stranger Things trailer. Or if you're interested in Red Notice, you'll go watch Red Notice or whatever. And like, who's so watching The Witcher? <laughs> because other like working in marketing, sometimes you don't want to do that because you oversaturate it and something doesn't become the focus now like not everyone's talking about the stranger things teaser because there was 40 other netflix teasers right like yeah. it's sometimes you want to drop one thing and you want these things to be spread out because you want that one thing to be the focus for that period of time where even this tadum event like i have to go back and look at what it was because if you go there's like 500 trailers so it's just like yeah pick and choose what you're interested in and read the descriptions or or whatever but like even that is a marketing thing is like, oh, we're going to do one day where we give you everything instead of going, oh, this is going to be Stranger Things week and we're going to drop the teaser on a Monday and let people kind of sit on it for a week and then we'll do a teaser for something else next week. But like they just produce so much stuff that if you like Adam Sandler, you got your new Adam Sandler movie. If you Murder like, mystery too. Yeah, if you like a crime shows, here's your crime show. Here's this and you'll find your shit. So they just kind of trust their audience and it's been working. Um, but I think that also goes back to the, you know, dumping all episodes at one time, which is like not my favorite thing. I get people love binging. Um, to me that makes it more disposable or it makes me not even go back and watch things or I'll get to it years later and just enjoy it on my own time. Like I'll be like, Oh, now I'm finally going to go back and watch, you know, maniac or whatever. Um, but I, I don't know. But like will it's, you? <laughs> no, probably. Or it'll take me forever. And like, Speaking I'll of finally. Fukunaga, you know, yeah. With Bond coming up, right? So, and that's the thing. Even with like filmmakers that we usually really enjoy or, or intrigued by their work, it's just I still had no energy to go and do that. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I'm excited for Stranger Things 4. I liked the Cowboy Bebop opening i'm really pumped about that like i i don't know if i have time now to watch the original series before this new one i know it comes out in november so i have a little bit of time but um you know whenever we get screeners and stuff that's a show i would love to cover because i am you know i really want to watch that show and i thought the intro was awesome very john cho has nice hair um he does and um very faithful to the original anime right and um but like there's so much here that i'm just like oh i didn't even watch 90 percent of this we got our first trailer for the sandman um uh which i'm gaming yeah i've never been a huge sandman or neil gaiman guy but more of a thomas um, hayden church kind of dude yeah of course yeah 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 uh tiger king 2 date announcement which is something we absolutely do not need but it was so popular that they're like let's let's give you more carol baskin and and fuck face it's like um i I just don't need more Joe exotic in my life. Like I do not care. Um, you haven't even watched the first season of that, right? Nope. Like it's and just it was one of the first things like when the pandemic kind of shut everything down that people kind of used as escapist entertainment. And I mean, that feels, it was only a year, a year, two years, I guess coming up now. Um, yeah. But it, 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 it kind of feels like it was centuries ago, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Considering like how much stuff, netflix has released since then you know we've gotten uh the last dance which i think is probably their their 
the best thing that they've worked on. Which is ESPN. really just ESPN and yeah. it was Canadian Netflix had it, right? So it was yeah. just internationally they had it. And, um, and the Queen's Gambit and um, – Which you still haven't watched either, right? No, and, the, the the Witcher. Um, I don't care about Witcher. I don't but either. I tried, but that's but, apparently popular. So Yeah, and we got um, more from all of this stuff, right? We got a new clip from our new tease from uh, Don't Look Up, which like a movie with that many stars in it and stuff you'd think would be a huge – deal right like any other studio would consider that they're big and i'm sure netflix is but it's just uh it feels like when you have so much other stuff it just kind of gets buried right um, would you like a little bit of everything all of the time i think that's a perfect place to leave it so i don't know if anything else stood out to you eric but like yeah no nothing because um, it just kind of felt like to your point like this giant bulldozer full of content just dumped it on my lawn and i have to like clean it up and, like, and you have to go what do i want it all yeah. yeah and and like find the thing that it's like the 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 gem that's you know under all the, the grain dirt. of rice that yeah. you you actually want right yeah um i totally agree and i don't want to sound like we're just shitting on netflix because like again i do think you know they're there is some great stuff on there, and I, I thought Queen's Gambit was fantastic. I love, but most Stranger of the Things stuff that you like, want to see, you already kind of have an idea of what's coming because Cobra you're following Kai. it outside of Netflix, anyways. You know, whether it be a filmmaker, you know, like one of the things I'm looking forward to next year from from them will be the um, Noah Baumbach movie uh, based on the Don DeLillo novel, uh, White Noise. But I don't need Netflix to tell me that it's coming. Or even or Power like, of the Dog, right? Like, well, yeah, Power. Like, I mean, yeah, ex exactly. Or like even last year with with Charlie Kaufman. With you know, I'm thinking of ending things. And these things know? will get no marketing on Netflix. You have to go oh, find no. it. You have to Dick be already. Johnson be... is dead. Is yeah. one of the best documentaries that they've ever made, and they just buried it last October. Because they, it goes back. Eric will come full circle. You just already have to be interested in it yep. outside of it to go find it. Like you need to know through your own circles that that's coming out that day. Like power of the dog is not going, it might be on the homepage. Um, maybe cause Cumberbatch, like people will randomly click on it and watch 30 minutes and go, not for me and turn it but off. Even like, some of and, the smaller stuff, like the stuff that they, that Netflix picks off, picks up at like Sundance or uh, Venice or, or, or any festivals that are, you know, non English speaking films. Like we'll be reviewing, you know, seven prisoners down the line, but there's a movie that is about human trafficking in Brazil. Um, that's a really solid little thriller uh, that, you know, for the most part will be buried. And there's a number of these films. Like there's a movie called tragic jungle, which um, was released back in, in May or June of this year that nobody was talking about. And they just dumped it. And there's a lot of international films that end up like that. So like, even like power of the dog, well, at least it has, you know, Cumberbatch and it's directed by a filmmaker who, you know, has won the Palme d'Or and won an Oscar and is known for the piano where, you know, you ha you have some of these, you know, international titles that are not English speaking films that will never find an audience even if you're you're, you know, you have critics or or, you know, personalities that you follow online that are are, you know, telling you to see these things or, or recommending you to see these things. It's 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 so unfortunate that you know, there's a lot of stuff that kind of gets buried, you know, even underneath the stuff that's that's already hard to kind of dig through. Ironically, we just got a press release for um, Netflix in your neighborhood, which is a Canadian Netflix Canada website, which is to show you shows that um, 
were shot in Canada or have a Canadian element Connection. to them. So I know they're trying to up their CanCon, which is interesting. Um, obviously, like some things that they have here, like Motel Makeover, which is uh, it's so weird to me to see. I had a cottage in Sobble Beach, Ontario when, um, when we were younger. And I know tons of people go to Sobble Beach you know, every year. And, and it's not just, but it felt like, oh, my family went to Sobble Beach, right? You know, when you almost take ownership over something, even though right. th- thousands and thousands of people go all the time. And it's, that's it's, my you destination. Know. Yeah. Get so it's here. just, it's so weird to see Sobble Beach in a, in a, a Netflix show. Right. But then they're kind of showing even the shows that don't necessarily take place in Canada, but were just shot here, like Umbrella Academy, Virgin River. Right. So they do interesting things like, you know, you can tell the Canadian team is like, oh, let's do some like do a thing to try to embrace our our CanCon, give you some stats that you know people that watch, you know, Canadian content are more likely to travel around Canada and stuff like that and see their. <laughs> let's go to Sable and... Beach to see where this show was shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's it, right? But could you imagine um, if something was? See, th- this is the other thing I've been thinking of a lot recently with something like even like Shit's Creek, where. You know, when it comes to um, American productions or Canadian productions, uh, even and and even thinking a little bit of of, of the movie Scarborough, um, I almost think that now we've we, we have come to a point where if you were to shoot a show or a movie in the Durham region and made it the Durham region and not just some like, you know, American suburb or, or unnamed, unidentified uh, borough somewhere, um, I think that it wouldn't. Like, I always thought to myself that the Durham region you always or like would never be a place to film. Um, but the like the the one movie that I can I can think of off the top of my head that like truly shot in Oshawa uh, was this horrible Mark Wahlberg film from the late 90s called The Big Hit, where he plays uh, uh, this kind of uh adolescent obnoxious hitman and a lot of that is shot in and around like near the uh, uh the gm center and oh is it yeah and and if you if you watch that movie like, gm center be... as in the arena or the actual plant like the, the plant, general motors me, plant. Yeah, the, yeah. So, yeah so like you see like a lot of those older like homes and other than that like it's like okay like most you Four know, Brothers like, was shot a bit here too, wasn't it? A little bit of it, yeah. And then like um, even Denny Vellum. Because the Oshawa and... Generals are in a hockey game on the TV in Four Brothers, which I always thought was the weirdest thing. Yeah, Enemy, there's a hotel in there that's right off the highway in Oshawa. Yeah, and th- some of that also shot West Obviously Parkwood, but Parkwood almost doesn't count. <laughs> like, yeah, Parkwood's with, with its the Tuxedo thing. and Billy Madison. And, and, yeah, uh, and uh, the, bo- the boys recently, yeah. yeah. And then so. you have some stuff that shoots even further out east with like Stephen King's It and, and you know stuff like that. But it kind of feels like you've gotten to that point where Hollywood has recycled so much of these these locations that you know maybe it's time that people do come out here and 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 take advantage of that because it's it's something that's not seen that often. Another I just being following yeah. the Viggo Mortensen movie, which also shot further out east. I just want more stuff to take place in toronto like we use it a lot as a you know a facade for new york and other chicago places in chicago and just u.s Detroit. general general u.s city or whatever um <laughs> that would be amazing it's like you see like a a, a bird's eye view of a city general u.s city. yeah somewhere in the u.s um i just because i think about that a lot because like I, I do love where we come like where we live and i i I am very like we talk about toronto being kind of ugly from an architecture standpoint things like that but But there also there's a lot of people that 
I feel like there's there's this certain sort of thing with Toronto type. I mean, I was born in Toronto, but um, there's this kind of like holier than now that nothing exists outside of Toronto. That mm-hmm. like, and that's that's to say with like a lot of uh, you know major. I think cities. anyone when you're from somewhere, you 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 have that kind of feeling, and that, and Toronto specifically because I feel like in the last decade or fifteen years or so, it's kind of gotten higher on the global scale of people paying attention to Toronto. Cause I always feel like we were like that because we were the biggest Canadian city, but we were in Canada and no one really gave a shit about us. Like the Toronto Maple Leafs people hated in the NHL, but outside of Canada, no one cared about the NHL. And then like Toronto, I felt like Drake weirdly is the one thing in the last decade or so that kind of weirdly put Toronto on a global map and people paid more attention to it. And well, then turning started, us into the six. Right? And then you, ta- yeah, you started to see it kind of get referenced in movies and TV and other places dropped and Toronto became more of like a, not necessarily a vacation destination or anything like that. But I feel like I heard more people talk about Toronto um, as a location globally um, than I did before. And uh, I just want more stuff. Sh- so much stuff shoots here that I would love something to be set here. And even weirdly man from Toronto, which comes out in January was shot here, but doesn't take place in Toronto, but maybe there's a scene because it's being shot here that maybe there's a scene that takes place in Toronto, but then you have something like obviously turning red and you're getting more Toronto filmmakers and Toronto actors and, and things like that. Well, David Cronenberg's like, always been a proponent yeah, there's, of shooting his stuff. And then like and there you go. Brendan Cronenberg with possessor recently as well takes place in Toronto, but not specifically, but like, you know, if you know, essentially, yeah. <laughs> like all well, Cronenberg I think, the, I think like David Cronenberg, like we, you know, we watched the fly last Halloween, which does last take October, place in Toronto. Right. And it's unabashed. Like it doesn't necessarily say like this takes place in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. But, but all of most of Cronenberg's movies, not all, but most of them, you know, are Canadian based productions that take place in Toronto that aren't afraid to be Canadian unless, you know, it's something like M butterfly or a history of violence or something like that. That's specific to, you know, uh, Japan or the American Midwest where like crash and, you know, fly and the brood and, and all. Of, and looking back at some of those movies as well mm. is also just interesting in terms of like, you know how you know the 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 city has built itself up again like in terms of the architecture and like that's the other thing like having gone to new york and coming back to toronto and thinking like toronto is almost like the wannabe version of new york like oh it's so hard to be new york for canada but when you go to new york you you, you there's a personality that is kind of missing and i feel like you know the downtown core there. I think you get a lot of that in the neighborhoods of Toronto, but uh, a lot of people who just visit the city don't really get out there. Right. But, and Tiff um, has always been a big proponent as well. And I think that has been bigger and bigger and Tiff gets bigger and bigger every year. And I think it does put Toronto on the map for on a big Hollywood scale as well, which I think is why you're seeing it, you know, be referenced in more things, but I would just love like an action movie or a superhero movie or cause again, yeah, small Canadian productions will take place in this area, but like an alpha flight um, would be amazing. If it, if I it... want it so bad, dude, like an alpha flight Disney plus show or an alpha flight. Like even if it's like a co-production with like, I, if you, 
God, you could make Alpha Flight like a co-production with CBC and make take the piss out of all those really bad Canadian like uh, shows on CBC. Corner Gas, and, like, but in Alpha Flight, uh, not even Corner Gas, but like you know, there's like random firefighter shows or like plane like pilot shows and like all these random cop shows that only air on like Canadian channels that are always so bad. But I feel like you could take like with marvel studios doing it like i feel like they could kind of take this irreverent approach to it that's kind of poking fun at canadian television and stuff like that that you could make a really fun alpha flight show um that but they would shoot it in atlanta though that's the thing because no, most I of hope, marvel yeah, stuff does shoot in atlanta uh, i would hate that um but you should shoot it in ottawa and toronto but like um yeah i would just love like a post-apocalyptic movie and i know we got um there is a uh apocalyptic movie that takes place in toronto called last night i believe like yeah um, the don mckellar film, yeah, don which, McKellar again movie, also yeah. has david cronenberg in it as as a yeah. as a character and that is a um, great little movie that um in canada it is available on crave um but it's it, yeah like well i mean you could even look at scott pilgrim versus the world right? yeah like, well there's probably one of the biggest movies set but nobody toronto. saw it right like yeah. it's a cult <laughs> film where like it is also interesting like the, another great movie that um that I love that's also very much a cult movie is is Strange Brew, you know, and Strange Brew is also a very Canadian film from, you know, the SCTV team with Bob and Doug McKenzie. Sorry, my um, doorbell's going off. I'll be right back. Keep talking. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so with with that, like that is also unabashedly uh Canadian and, and it is kind of built a, a bit of a you know a, a cult audience over over the years but there are I, I mean canada for the most part is known probably best for comedic actors obviously even thinking of like with Shit's creek with you know eugene levy and and Catherine o'hara um but you you look at it now to, to matt's point it does feel like the the drake era of um toronto has kind of put us on the map and that with you know even people who kind of live outside or were born outside of uh, uh, Toronto with the Rachel McAdams and the Ryan Goslings. And, you know, even in Vancouver, you have someone like Ryan Reynolds, who's probably, I guess, you know, quote unquote, is the biggest Canadian um, uh, export uh, to the U S in, in recent memories. So um, there, there are plenty Grabbing a Coke Zero, I'll be right back. <laughs> uh, this uh, episode is not sponsored by uh, Coke Zero, but Matt will be grabbing a Coke Zero. So yeah, it, it is interesting just thinking about like where Toronto is on the map, and like maybe even in the future we'll see more maybe American productions embracing that because there was a time in the seventies and eighties where if a, an American production or even if it was a smaller Canadian production shot, you know something locally they would want to americanize it as much as possible like if you watch the 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 original bob clark black christmas they're overcompensating for the fact that they shot that in toronto by putting like american flags everywhere like they put like there's there's a scene that takes place in a police station where they put little mini american flags in a police mug full of uh pens and it's just like the only way to sell a a movie like that is is sort of make it neutral or non-canadian you know we want to sell this in the u.s yeah, I heard everything you were saying. Thank you for yeah. vamping for a little while. Okay. Um, I'm on the Wikipedia page for list of films set in Toronto. And the last one was Little Italy in 2018. Oh my. Um, Classic. So here's the most recent list of movies. Uh, Little I- Italy. You have Sebastian. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. Um, 
Then you have, uh, I'll go through, oh, I'm sorting them by year. Here we go. Uh, don't know what Zoom is. Enemy in 2013. The F word in 2013. So, um, How many of we, these are Frank De- D'Angelo movies? <laughs> I mean, 2013, a big year for movies set in Toronto. Uh, you have Picture Day. Um, Which is the Tatiana Maslany film. Yeah, Take This Waltz. Um, Sarah movie. Yeah, I'm not going through everything. I'm just going through some of the the ones that people would maybe recognize. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Chloe. Is Sicilian Vampire on there? I'm sure it is. Um, <laughs> the, oh, the Love Guru. <laughs> oh God, that's probably a, 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 just, a reason why. Yeah, I mean, um, Mike Myers was was very much a, like you look at Wayne's World. Bone Cop, Bad Cop. Oh God. Um, you look at Wayne's World and Wayne's World Two, the suburbs of those films are very much toronto you know or ontario you know like even though they're they're still american he's playing off of that and um yeah the love guru is probably one of those movies that kind of like tainted toronto oh absolutely and the toronto maple leaves uh jimmy going the distance yeah there's just like not that much last night is on here obviously um which we talked about crash uh canadian bacon uh, on the Michael Moore movie with uh, John Candy. Um, I'm just going through Dead Ringers, uh, Strange Brew, which we mentioned, Videodrome. Yeah. yeah, a lot of Cronenberg stuff. Yeah, really. So yeah, I would just I I want that Alpha Flight series, man. I would love to write an Alpha Flight movie or show because like I, what one thing that I've always fantasized about is like going back rereading. Puck, you always fantasize about Puck. Puck, God bless Puck. Um, rereading all the OG Alpha Flight series and then just for fun writing something that like uh, an Alpha Flight thing because um, I just think it's fascinating that there was this Marvel superhero team that, uh, you know, headquarters in Ottawa and had a lot of it in Department H being like the shield of Canada and stuff like that. Like, I just think, and I mean, it does sound very Canadian. Like, Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're just called Department H. But then there's the whole connection with Logan and Wolverine, right? Like, right. I think it could be a and really isn't interesting. Wolverine read. supposed to? Isn't he a Canadian? Yeah, he's Canadian. He's yeah. from like Alberta or something, isn't he? Yeah. I think like, um, and Logan X Men. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, because even this uh, one's for you, Morph. Um, I think even the character like where Weapon X was and stuff was in Canada, wasn't it? Like where he gets the adamantium and stuff like that. And um, he was a member Speaking of, of the X-Men Flight movies that also shot in a lot of those early ones shot yeah. in Toronto. Uh, very, very true. Um, all right. Uh, let's get into a little bit of a TIFF wrap up. Um, Speaking of so, Toronto. Yeah. Uh, good segue. Uh you know, you guys can go back and listen to or watch all of our reviews from the 2021 Toronto International Film Festival uh, over on Untitled Movie Reviews on podcast services or on YouTube on the Untitled Movie channel. Um, untitled underscore movies is the easiest way to get to the channel on YouTube and Letterboxd and things like that. So all the reviews are up there. Um, so we don't necessarily have to go over everything. We can go top five eric we can talk about maybe some of the movies that we didn't cover in the reviews or just kind of the how you felt about uh the festival as a whole this year the experience in general because it was uh, a little different last year obviously completely digital so we did a lot of it uh watching it at my place this year it was a hybrid which i felt i mean to kick things off i don't know if i i, I mean i loved going back and seeing stuff in person 
uh, I felt like because half of it was in person and half of it was digital, uh, took even more of a toll on me a little bit, especially because we were taking the train in every day from outside of the city. Um, it's exhausting. And it just felt like it kind of scheduling wise was difficult because we had to fit in travel time. We had to fit in screening time. Uh, then we had to fit in recording time. And then for me, editing time and um, there's a gnat flying around. Um, and then also some sleep. Some sleep uh, as well as – so days where we had one or two screenings in Toronto depending on when they were spread out and we didn't have many choice – like we didn't have much choice in the screenings because we only went to go see movies that weren't showing digitally. But So that meant they only really had one screening. So some – we'd have a screening at 10 in the morning and then have to wait until 9 at night. And then because I don't live downtown anymore, we had to kind of just – we literally sat on a gelato patio for like – seven hours one day and eric but luckily it was it was only the one the one day day that was kind of like sometimes you get multiple days that are like that where i know but usually with it all being in person i feel like you there's an energy to it where you you go get something to eat or we'd record on our phones remember we did the whole record on the go i would go to the press office i would edit the episode and throw it out when we were doing audio only i just felt like about town kind of style of like and i like you know on the street yeah no i i did too and and especially when we did kind of like the grouping of films at the the daily roundups yeah 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 we're fun too and like maybe we'll go back to that when things are because we'll have to figure out video i mean i think i'm hoping there's a way on my ipad or something in in future tips where i bring a microphone and in my iphone or something like that and we just sit together and record reviews on video and that's how we get them up or something but um and still do it man on the street style kind of thing. But I felt like I was really worn down by like Tuesday, Wednesday. And I really felt like my my movie watching slowed down in that second half of the festival when it was all at home. Where the first half we did um, in person. And um, overall, I really obviously enjoyed it. It felt like an even weirder year where it felt like a shorter festival because of what I just said. Um and we got a lot of the big stuff out of the way in that first weekend because they were screening a lot for international press and different things in that first weekend. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think as a whole, really enjoyed the festival. Um, obviously, you guys can check out our – we'll maybe go over our top five, top ten movies of the festival. Um, I still have two more movies to watch. So I like, have a couple more too, yeah. Yeah, because I want to round out to 40. <laughs> So. Yeah, and I want to get to 30. So, uh, yeah, you watched a little bit more than me, which is usually the case every year where I get. But it, that was even uh, hard because there there, there were like to your point with with, you know, going downtown and watching a couple movies or, you know, in that one instance, you know, uh, a few films in, in a day and then thinking to yourself, OK, well, like when the films that are available on the platform are released to us, we have, you know, a, a day, two days to get to them and it's like oh that's plenty of time but that time is the one thing that as you get older seems to just go by so quickly that when you you know you finally get to that movie that you wanted to watch when you have that extra time you realize that you only have two hours to watch a film that might be two hours and 20 minutes and then you're kind of like well i don't want to like have this basically be disrupted by the film you know shutting down or or not being available anymore um and then like even like you know factors that are completely out of your control so 
the day that I, I mean, I talked about this in, in our review for the humans, but the, the, the morning that I watched that film, I was going to watch a couple other films uh, after but that. Your power and, went out, but right? my power went out and luckily Tim Horton's <laughs> was the saving grace there in terms of get, cause you can't, you like, you have to use Wi-Fi to get, uh, you know, onto this, this platform. Um, so, and it was a struggle to watch like the last like 20 minutes of that movie, even less. Um, and so I was just like, I don't want to like, frustrate myself watching a film that i want to give the best opportunity and chance possible so then you know there was like two or three movies that day that were sacrificed because of that not saying like i mean in total when i'm all said and done 40 movies is a lot of movies it's a shit um, ton i'm surprised yeah. you, you got but, to but, that e- number. but even but even like you know we were lucky to you know pre-screen and pre-screen a few Sundance. things even though yeah even though there's there's some stuff that like we probably would have seen more if it was a normal year in terms of the pre-screening stuff, but we, we tried to watch as much as we can. Um, but it was just, you know, when, when you're, when you're looking at the festival as it, before it begins, we're always like this. It's always one of those things where your eyes are bigger than your stomach kind of thing. Oh, where yeah. You're looking at it, It's like, I'm going to watch this and this, and I'm going to see like five movies. That but by day. day four, you're like, Ugh. I had one six movie day, which was wild, which I haven't right. done now, in a while. Most of those were at home though. Right. Or all of that six home. movie day? No, I think yeah. we did a couple in person. Then I came home and watched a bunch more. Right. I feel well, sometimes like, you're um, also in a groove, right? Where like you can like you just kind of want to keep going. And then sometimes there are some movies where like I know you like one movie that you didn't dislike, but maybe you weren't in the right headspace for was Earwig, which yeah. is a movie. The more I think about is the more I I, I really love the visuals and the aesthetic. It, it looks like a kind of horror film. I had to also, be true to myself at that moment and just go, right. I can't do this right now, but it's also a very demanding movie. Like I feel like, like it's also it, 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 like it takes about 20 minutes for anybody to start speaking. Um, it's from the director of uh, Evolution, which also played Tiff uh, a, a few years ago. But if you're not in the mood for like a hammer horror silent movie era esque homage, um, where the lead looks a lot like uh, Colin Clive from uh, the Universal Frankenstein uh, movies, you're not going to be vibing with it. And sometimes you need to kind of be like, okay it's just not working for me right now. Like if you're watching two or three films in the day and it's your second or third movie, like I, I, I can't fathom somebody going into Memoria like at 8am in the morning and being like, After unless you're sleeping a couple hours. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and having the patience for it, you know, and it's not the movie's fault necessarily or the, or even the viewer's fault. It's just how these things are scheduled, Yeah, which sometimes it's like, okay, maybe, you can go back to it afterwards. And there are some movies on here where it's like, I've watched everything. And there are some films where like, again, earwig, I gave it a three out of five, but the more I think about it, the more I like it. And I would like to rewatch it again. And whenever it gets picked up, it'll probably be an IFC film or, you know, some sort of genre label, maybe magnet from Magnolia. will pick it up. Um, you know, I'll, I'll watch it again and I'll like it even more, but that happens even with, you know, filmmakers that, you like that maybe have a very sort of hard edge to them. I just feel like when it comes to programming, it's you have to look at programming and scheduling as two different things. Yeah. When it comes to programming, you're looking at like what the, you know, the people that work at TIFF are doing. And then you have to kind of think like, okay, well, what am I watching in this buffet of, of films? You know, you're selecting a little bit of this, a little bit of that. 
and not all these things pair well together. So you watch a movie that you watch a movie that you're on this like incredible high after watching. Like I remember when we came out of um, Pablo Lorraine's Jackie and just mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. on that kind of like adrenaline rush of watching mm-hmm. like a great movie. And then afterwards, I think we had a, another screening and just maybe you know, maybe there was some goodwill to that other film or maybe there wasn't because the expectations now were so high and vice versa, where you watch a film that you really don't like and then that kind of sours your mood for the rest of the Yeah, or you're not in a mood to watch something else and that's why you'll go, I'm not going to go to my next thing because that that took everything out of me or... or, I'm tapping out. (laughs) And it could go the other way. Like you said, you love something so much that you almost don't want to watch something else because nothing will be as good as what you just watched, not to put something on a pedestal or, or, or something like that. But you're coming off that high where if a movie doesn't kind of land with you right away, it's a, it's a bit tougher. So, and especially on this hybrid year, like I just, I can't wait to get back to the normal festival where it's just like, it's more exhausting or, but it's got an energy to it and you keep yourself going. Cause I feel like once you get home and you sit down and you're in you your crash, you're, yeah, you're literally, you're in your home. Right. And you're just like, who I just, I, yeah, I don't know if I got it right now. I just took the train home. I just, we, Eric and I recorded for a couple hours cause we had to do the reviews and like, um, I don't but know. Overall, I, have I, I have to say like, we put in a lot of work in turn, especially on your end, um, put in a lot of work when it came to covering a variety of movies, you know, even though, yeah, it's only a handful of films that we did individual reviews for, you know, they vary from, uh, you know, Memoria to Dune and everything in between, you know, like yeah. we gave everything, you know, a shot. Like it wasn't like we were focused on like, okay, we have to get, you know, only the Dune, Dear Evan Hansen, kind of- Tammy Faye, like the big, the bigger yeah. quote unquote movies or whatever, the guilty and last night in Soho. Like we tried to, have a good eclectic mix of stuff. And I still think we put out a good amount of reviews. Cause I, I just feel like, like I saw 26 movies so far, 27, if you count Earwig, but I only saw the first half hour. Uh, so I don't really necessarily officially count it, but it's 27. You did close to 30 um, yep. or 40. Sorry. 40. I'm I on, did close uh, let to, me look right now. Uh, 38. Yeah. And I'm on 27 and, we covered the majority of those in individual reviews. I think, I think there was only a couple out of that 27 where we don't have a individual review for it on my end and yours is a bit more. So I think like, um, you know, overall it was a successful festival and it is still my favorite time of the year. Um, uh, I'm just, I'm looking forward to the day where we can go back and mix of press and industry screenings and mix of screenings at princess of Wales and, Elgin and Roy Thompson Hall and things like that. Like I love that energy of the festival where you leave your house at eight in the morning and you don't get back until, you know, nine PM, sometimes later if you're going to a midnight or if you're seeing a, a But also staying movie. downtown as well, right? Like yeah. I think that commute going back and forth, if you only have a couple movies a day, yes, it still is going to exhaust you, but um, you know, we were being practical in terms of uh, you know, deciding to not rent uh, an airbnb yeah it didn't make sense right but if you are doing you know five or six movies a day um i i can't not recommend you have to stay in the city you can't can't, like or at least close to it like it's it's so difficult to 
commute 45 to 50 minutes or further. That's not even including the drive and getting to the, yeah, yeah, there's so much more on top of that too. So yeah, it does take a weird toll on you, even though you're just sitting on a train or whatever. And if you have an 8am screening, you got to wake up at like five or six. <laughs> yeah. yeah it well, is if you're picking, if you're, if you are also picking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, your carpooling, things yeah. like that. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it, but um, I'm looking forward to the day of getting back to TIFF even though I've I've enjoyed the last two years, I think they've they've done a really good job at, um, you know, doing a full digital festival, doing a hybrid festival. Well, not full digital. They did the cart, the the drive-in screenings and and lawn screenings two years ago. But, um, and then from a safety standpoint, which is the one thing we haven't really talked about, like I I did think they did a pretty good job. Um, we will be transparent. Say we did get an email that said. Hey, someone tested positive uh, at your Dune screening that you attended to, um, which gave us a little bit of um, anxiety, I would say. Um, But, you know, uh, we reached out to TIFF and we said, hey, uh, can we get some more details? Like, were they sitting close to us? Were they in our row? They would have had to pass us. And they were like, no, both you and Eric weren't sitting close to this person. Um, And obviously we're fine. It's it's many weeks. It's a, a week in almost two weeks after we've seen dune so um but i think they did a good job of checking you know vaccinations or well especially tests. at the scotia bank um, theater where they checked your id they, with ID, it yeah yeah where tiff Lightbox, they didn't but they didn't check your id so and it's still i think would be fairly easy to just show them something and show your id like i don't think it's they're not verifying anything or whatever but other than that but I felt pretty safe other than like I tweeted out that first day of like people were closer to me than I would have liked. They were only doing, they were doing 50% kind of every other seat where I would have liked a little less than that, but well, especially at that hero screening, right? Where the, 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 the critics that it was a P and I screening and the press and industry were all clustered in sort of like the front main rows. And there was plenty of space where you could have spread out people even more to keep it safe. But the way that they did the tickets, they just put everyone at the front and it was bizarre. But um, other than that, I felt mostly safe, but um, very much looking forward to getting back to the festival um, as normal. Um, So, Eric, we can talk about a couple of the movies we didn't review. So you guys can check out, like I'll list all of our reviews right now, at least on my end that you guys can check out. You guys can check out on Untitled Movie Reviews and right here on YouTube, you can check out our reviews for Petite Maman, uh, The Humans, Spencer, uh, T10, Scarborough, The Rescue, Last Night in Soho, um, Memoria, The Power of the Dog, Belfast, um, The Kafka re-edit, Mr. Neff, uh, the Guilty, uh, Electrical Life of Louis uh, Wayne, uh, Jockey, which is a Sundance review. You'll have to go back. Uh, Charlotte, Night Raiders, A Hero, Dune, uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Wolf, Dear Evan Hansen. Flea, uh, so, which is also uh, Sundance. Flea. Uh, but Flea, we didn't do an individual review for. You talked about it on our Sundance oh, right, wrap right, up. Right. So maybe when Flea comes out, we we'll will actually review because I would love to rewatch Flea. Um, and I didn't catch it at this festival again. Um, so yeah, tons of reviews that you guys can go check out. We put out hours and hours of content. So you guys can go back and check those out. So we won't necessarily cover those. Maybe we'll talk about our favorites of the festival. Uh, Eric, I only saw a couple movies, or I think one movie that you didn't see, which is uh, Marina, uh, which is a Croatian set movie that I watched with Nevis on our um, anniversary. Uh, obviously watching it with Nevis because uh, it is her homeland. 
uh, try to kind of catch anything from Croatia with her. Um, and basically, uh, I considered it a very kind of chill uh, uh, kind of uh, ocean set or sea set uh, jailbreak movie about a patriarchy and this girl trying to escape her kind of controlling father. Um, and I thought it was a good coming of age movie. I thought it was, um, you know, nothing super as Georgie walks by as you probably <laughs> saw that. Um, well, we also did say, see the, uh, the electrical life of Louis Wayne. So. And, and Georgie made a cameo in that as well. Georgie wants to go up into the window. So I'm trying to help her out. Uh, but really, really enjoyed uh, Marina. And I hope uh, it kind of gets an audience. Cause I thought it was a really solid little uh, coming of age uh, movie. Well, it's uh, executive produced by Martin Scorsese. Yeah. So you it think has Cliff Curtis in it as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a good point, Eric. The cast is great. I thought the, uh, the young woman who played, uh, the lead uh, was quite good. Uh, but the, yeah, Cliff Curtis, um, who always I love seeing pop up in random things. And he's always kind of, to me, like a chameleon that he just kind of pops up and can play any role. And I feel like he's always good. Um, so I really enjoyed Marina. And I hope uh, you check it out, Eric, whenever it comes out, uh, because it's it is quite good. And I think that's really the only thing that I saw that you didn't see. Yeah. Um, well, I, 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 you know, keeping in paired with uh, overbearing and controlling uh, Eastern European patriarchs. Sure. Yeah. Uh, a film that I uh, saw um, called Unclenching the Fist, which is going to be released uh, through Mubi uh, in North America, is a film about a young uh, girl who lives in a former mining town um, who when you're first introduced to the character, you feel that she's acting a little bit aloof and, and quote unquote difficult because she's trying to avoid, you know, this guy who's making advances on her, but then she starts acting very childish and it becomes almost grating. But then you find out that her father, who is her sole caretaker, she's, she's, she's an adult now, but her, she lives with her father and uh, her brother in this small sort of former mining town that's just kind of a desolate wasteland almost. They, they, she she works at this kind of convenience store that also um, sells shoes. Um, but you find out through the family dynamic that her father has always treated her like a child and hence she's never been able to properly grow up. And to the point Sounds where, like Marina a little bit. <laughs> yeah, where like she... I don't know if this is spoiler or not, but like she's even like still wearing diapers and things like that. Ah, and it's like, okay. it's Not, really, it doesn't go yeah, that far. On yeah. And side, it's, but... and like, so this other brother comes into the picture later on and he kind of left to go live in, in the major city. And, um, he's trying to kind of help her, but not because he also kind of still feels some allegiance to the father and everybody is trying to maybe cut ties with the dad, but are still kind of invested in it. And then the other brother, there's this weird kind of like, it's not incestual, but like it's, it's, there's something inappropriate about it where like the younger brother wants to sleep in the same bed as the sister and like the sister doesn't want that. So like there is this kind of autonomy that the sister does want and she's fighting that. And, and a lot of the cast are, non-professional actors but they're all really really good um so it was fascinating to to watch that movie and sort of like have this prejudgment of a character that you think is going to be um a little bit kind of grating in some ways but then you learn why she is the way she is um 
and you become more empathetic towards her as the story goes on. And it's not a great movie per se, but it's one that isn't completely um, like when you think of a lot of like uh, Eastern European films that take place in and around and outside of Russia, um, you think that they're going to be quite bleak. There is a bleakness to this, but there's also kind of like a, a glimmer of hope that makes the movie maybe not accessible but at least not completely a downer and i think that that's why unclenching the fist is is definitely worth checking out um cool and, and yeah and then a movie we both actually saw that we didn't review was the documentary about julia childs called mm-hmm. julia which is kind of your classic um sort of bio documentary about a you know famous person and we've been watching a lot of you know, we've been covering a lot of uh, um, documentaries about chefs specifically uh, within Wolfgang. In this last year and, and yeah. Roadrunner about Anthony yeah. Bourdain. And this almost is like a weird kind of combination of the two in terms of Julia Child kind of, you know, it goes over America in the 1950s and early 60s before, you know, looking at food as like microwavable, you know, consumption and just kind American of... American food was really gross kind yes of. Yeah. yeah it was all like gelatin and like you know again like uh, frozen uh, frozen fr- yeah. frozen food and it wasn't looked at as like not only um you know food to just consume and kind of get the calories but actually enjoy mm-hmm. and so julia child you know th- a lot of that's covered also in wolfgang um julia child was kind of like the one who you know after spending time in europe and in asia comes back yeah yeah europe france specifically but also in asia um comes back and basically you know creates the persona of um the tv chef you know and introduces culinary um tips and tricks that makes food fun and exciting and romanticizes it and we also learn about her relationship with her with her husband paul and 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 again it goes by the books but i think what i liked a lot about this movie and i think it also kind of plays into it was just something nice to kind of be peppered into some more darker or um more dramatic things is having something that was kind of weirdly just fun and enjoyable and also kind of a reminder of how important Julia Child was because you have Wolfgang and Wolfgang does the same thing where you have like at the beginning, you have all these, you know, talking head interviews saying like, you know, Wolfgang Puck was the guy that like redefined food. He was the first. And then with, with, you know, Bourdain, you have a lot of people saying, well, he was the guy that, you know, made world travel and, you know, international cuisine sort of um, palatable to uh, U.S. audiences. And it's like, well, yeah, no, those guys did great work. But Julia Child is really the the, the first to do that. She's mm-hmm. the monarch of kind of um, a triforce of those three, which makes sense why they're all getting docs this year. Right. Yeah. Like, I feel like those three people are very influential. But yeah, Julia Child being the first and then kind of Wolfgang Puck coming off the coattails of of, of her. And then, um, yeah, I enjoyed it, too. I just didn't uh, when we discussed it, we were in the middle of putting out so much content where I'm just like, Eric, I don't. I liked the movie. I think it is a perfectie enjoyable. Georgie, what are you doing? Stop. <laughs> what are you doing? Come on. There's like a fly or something, so she's going off. Uh, I just didn't have much to say. Like, I think it was a pretty solid and enjoyable reminder of how influential she was in a pretty by-the-books documentary. Like, um, 
I, I think that's, you know, it, it ended up right in the middle of my TIFF rankings because of that, because I thought it was perfectly enjoyable. It's better than that lower tier of, of movies that I saw at the fest, but I also didn't have much excitement or much to say about it. So I was just like, I thought it was thoroughly enjoyable and I, don't have much more to say but yeah, yeah which i don't disagree with you on that like i think it's one of those films where like over time it'll fade but it just kind of hit that sweet spot that, and i think that's totally fine too yeah we're like, like that makes watching sense. her kind of break the glass ceiling and yeah. and sort of you know watching those first couple episodes of of you know the french chef and looking at how fully formed her her broadcast persona was yeah. already you know like she and, and and also being a, a woman in her fifties and, yeah. and basically reinventing herself, like it's just something like even now is really kind of a rarity and, and, and unfortunate for for women in you know media, whether it be film, television, uh, news reporting, uh, you know, basically any kind of, of of programming that's on camera, and just thinking about like how kind of revolutionary she was and how much of a trailblazer she was. And, you know, she kind of set the mold, but at the same time, things, a lot of things haven't kind of progressed no. or gotten better or, or sort of gone above what, what Julia child was able to do. And so that was something that I found um, just a, a, an important reminder um but i also just really loved the food and the culture and sort of an american kind of becoming almost like you know a weird sort of um an american expat becoming a a, a french adoptee in a weird way and sort of her sort of taking a lot of um sort of cues culinary cues from france and sort of you know seeing both the Julia child that everybody knew and loved on screen, but also the savvy businesswoman that she was and seeing, you know, like not everything was always sort of um, flowery and, 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 and just enjoyable. So yeah, I, I, again, like, is it as good as something or as thrilling, um, viscerally thrilling as the rescue? No, but if it's something that you're kind of looking for to kind of just like, you know, take a breather between. It's an easy watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an enjoyable movie, and, and I think that if you're into cooking specifically, you have to kind of watch something like this because oh, totally, you're, yeah. you're paying tribute to the person who, you know, really started this whole phase of the cookbook and sort of the mm -hmm. online or uh, on-camera persona of, of chefs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, rapid Fire, other stuff that you kind of liked or disliked uh, that I didn't watch with you. Yeah, so I'm just looking at the list now on Letterbox. Um, I have a review on Rogers for I'm Your Man, which I really uh, right. Liked I do want to watch Nevis Dan Stevens. Yeah, Nevis loves Dan Stevens. He's very he, good in this, and I know it's already out, right? Yes. Uh, no, it's oh, it's out in the U.S. Okay. Um, but in Canada, it's only playing in select. Oh, right, and not in Toronto, of right? Toronto, yes, and not yeah. even in Durham. Um, but it'll be available on uh, VOD October 12th. Okay, so not um, too long. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, a couple movies that um, <laughs> I saw that we'll talk more about Seven Prisoners. I watched the uh, Ari Fullman animated uh, uh, Anne Frank doc, or, or it's not really a doc, but it's it's kind of a hybrid of both documentary and a biopic. Um, fictional mm -hmm. biopic yeah. that's sort of focused on Anne's 
imaginary best friend that she wrote to in her diary, Kitty, uh, where is Anne Frank, where the character kind of comes out of the diary in the modern world and sees sort of the influence that Anne Frank has had uh, on the world and is also kind of looking at how, you know, some things don't change and that even though, yes, you know, the, the repressive, uh, the oppressive regime of, you know, Nazi Germany is, is, is gone and looked upon as this horrible moment in history and as it should be in retrospective, um, which it wasn't at the time. And that's another point that it, it the movie does make. Um it looks at like how, you know, a lot of refugees in, you know, third world countries are struggling to survive and trying to kind of make it into other countries or being deported and sent back and sort of making that kind of connection. It reminded me a little bit of, I mean, I really love Ari Fullman's um, Waltz with Bashir uh, quite a bit. And it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like almost like a Don Bluth um, animated film, the guy who did... Um, american tale and uh oh, okay him cool where, like it has that kind of quality to it where it's not really a children's movie and it's not necessarily an adult film it's one of those interesting transitional movies that like it's been made mostly to play at schools and sort of get back to the reasoning of, of who Anne frank is to kind of cut through the weird sort of merchandising and sort of you know creating this weird like tribute to somebody who nobody saved at the time and like it's just it, it it's it's it would be an interesting conversation to have when we do a review of um uh bergman island in terms okay. of like how we we take certain historical figures and we weirdly commercialize them by paying tribute to them right. specifically when it is region specific <laughs> or or sort of like an area that they're kind of they lived in or are known for uh, whether it be uh Foro Island or in this case in Amsterdam. Um, but it also made me think like there's a scene early on where you have people visiting the Anne Frank home and you see like all these tourists coming in cycling through the day. And it just reminded me of that horribly offensive moment in uh, the fault in our stars where you have Ansel Elgort and Shailene Woodley, uh, characters in that kiss for the first time in the Anne, the Anne Frank, Frank house museum ha- slash house. And it just was like that. Mo- like I actually really like, where is Anne Frank is, is divisive, but I found it to be, uh, I was mixed positive overall, but like it made me think of that scene for some weird reason. And like how American movies handle sort of moments like that like even also right. in x-men apocalypse with the auschwitz kind of like yeah the, yeah yeah and it's just like where this i think is actually saying something kind of about some of that stuff in terms of like again how we've turned it into a tourist destination for yeah. the wrong reasons and when you have someone in a purple jumpsuit there it's just like in like you're in a superhero movie in a popcorn entertainment it just kind of comes across as icky yeah i get that. yeah um, so going through these quickly, um, I watched uh, Montana Story, which is sort of this um, estranged brother sister getting back together um, in the Midwest after their father is in a horrible accident and it is basically in a coma that he's not going to recover from. And um, the son played by Owen Teague, who's probably best known as playing uh, Henry Bowers and Stephen King's It, uh, the, wow. the, the remakes. Um is basically having to come in and sort of uh, get all of the the dad's affairs in order. And then 
um, his sister shows up, who's played by uh, Haley Lou Richardson, um, and you find out about um, their problematic sort of upbringing with a father that was very abusive and sort of what it means to take care of somebody um, who maybe doesn't deserve uh, to be treated in the same respect, considering, you know, what he's done in the past and sort of the brother and sister also kind of dealing with a moment in their lives that the brother maybe should have been more supportive of done something to help the sister who had a really tumultuous relationship with her father. Um, Really beautiful performances, uh, extremely understated, maybe not the greatest film to watch near the end of the festival because it is paced in a very deliberate kind of um, slow and, and methodical and melancholy kind of way. But it's a film that I think the two leads are really good. And also like, there's this whole thing with like them deciding what to do with this, this older horse that they have um, and uh, named Mr. T Um, and overall just a kind of really kind of, um, sweet but thoughtful sort of look at sort of the dysfunctional qualities of family and and being um accountable but also finding you know the courage to forgive somebody yeah um, and i'm speaking more from the, the 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 sister and the brother perspective than anything else um so yeah that was that wasn't um that bad it was again a very kind of middle of the road but not awful film um then i watched some stuff that wasn't as good that i'll talk more about like snakehead when we do our review for seven prisoners because it also deals with human trafficking and i feel that that movie does not get across what it intends to because it's thinking it's a bigger (laughs) film than what it actually is right and it ultimately felt like the one movie that i didn't see um lakewood the Philip Noyce movie. And I know a lot of people were saying that it kind of felt like a VOD film, but, and I mean like a, like a trash VOD movie and snakehead kind of feels like that kind of like bottom barrel kind of movie. Unfortunately, um, I watched encounter with Riz Ahmed, who's very good as a uh, father who uh, basically kidnaps his two sons and goes on the road, um, believing that aliens um, have infected uh, other human beings. Riz Ahmed is okay. The movie feels a little bit underdeveloped overall, especially when um, considering um, another movie kind of does something similar to that that I felt was better, which was William Friedkin's Bug, in terms of creating a, a, a psychological. I like to rewatch that. I haven't seen drama. it in a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's on. It's on Amazon Prime. It's never gotten a, a Blu-ray release, unfortunately, with uh, Michael Shannon and, and Ashley Judd. Um, I watched another Midnight Madness movie called You Are Not My Mother, which I was, I think I had higher expectations going in. So I was ultimately let down by this movie. I think it's fine, but it's basically taking this Irish sort of folklore approach to Halloween and surrounding this young girl whose mother vanishes, then comes back and is completely different. It kind of deals with clinical depression and sort of um, an invasion of the body snatcher style story. Also hearkening back to um, the changeling, if you know what, not the movie, but like the the mythology of the changeling. Um, There's stuff in there that I think is interesting, but overall, narratively speaking, I think it doesn't sort of tie together completely. Um, And then I will finish off because I did see a lot. Um, I won't talk about the Starling because I just watched that on Netflix, but oh boy, uh, that movie is. <laughs> oh, not you good. did watch it on Netflix just because yeah. you, you want to get those TIFF totals up. Yeah. yeah. Um, so 
dash cam, which is a film oh, that yeah, we we both watched for the most part. Yes, I watched the whole thing. I, think I Matt, got you got motion sickness halfway through. Yeah, or, like three or just quarters. Wasn't it both. Um, yeah. it was the only movie I felt was unwatchable at the festival and like earwig was a movie i left because i was not in the right headspace that was not because it's a filmmaking not necessarily no um where dash cam was a one that i was watching at home and i got an hour not even an hour into it because it's only 66 minutes right um but it feels uh, like an eternity it does and i think you know i got over half but i was in the end game of the movie and I was like, I don't need to see the rest of this. What am I doing? I'm like, I really hate this. Like, I hate this. And I'm like, I, I and I liked Host a lot. Like, I, I caught up with yeah, Host. Yeah, so this is, during... this is Rob Savage's follow-up. He signed a deal after Host played or was picked up by, yeah. yeah, Shudder. And so this is kind of like the first of his films. And it's um, another- Also a of, screen life kind of, uh, yeah, this one found being- footage-esque story from the guise of a real, like an actual- personality and hardy who is a very polarizing individual in general um but the 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 person that we're watching is basically someone that is going to probably turn off most people and we i think we've talked about this before where we don't mind sort of uh complicated or protagonist um, ugly protagonists in the sense of that like if if a character is interesting they don't have to be likable but when you compile that or compound that with an unlikable character and really shoddy handheld camera work, it really does start to grate on you to the point where um, that 65, 66 minutes does feel like an eternity. And then even more sh- so, the um, filmmaking does feel almost incompetent like it just kind of feels like this idea was not really fully developed past the idea it's like okay let's put you know like this um uh non-pc personality in front of the camera and 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 that is part of it like they didn't really have a script they just gave kind of situations out and see where it goes and ultimately just really in my opinion does not come together no and i i agree with that and it was making me feel nauseous i just felt like um the i'm fine with yeah uh, not enjoying a protagonist of a movie even though like i'm fine like sometimes you just want to cheer for someone to die you're like i hate this person i hope they do get what's coming to them um and that can be enjoyable but it, it was so grating both the lead and the filmmaking to the point where yeah i got 40 minutes into it knew there was only about 20 minutes left and i was like man this is only 66 minutes but it feels like 600 minutes and i was like i can't i i just don't need to finish this like i know where it's going the scares like some of the you know the editing techniques i i could you see the filmmaking you're like i get it i'm all for screen life movies i think they can be really really cool and i think something about someone like twitch streaming their life and and some fucked up stuff happening to them could be really cool but you know, I get that she's not going to run around with a gimbal and like have steady cam and stuff like that. Like I get she's just shooting on her iPhone or a GoPro or whatever she's using to stream, attaching it to a hat. Um, you know, the new iPhones just came out that have a stabilizer in all of the phones. Um, but the phone she was using did not. And they don't do anything to compensate for that. And it's unabashedly like, oh, here's an amateur 
recording all of this stuff where when you can get away with webcams in host and some cell phone footage, but, um, it, it was just, it, it's so much shaky cam to the point where you're like, it's just, I can't watch this anymore. And like, it was the only thing that was so obnoxious to me that I'm like, I got to shut this shit off. I just like, I can't finish this. I've seen enough. This is the worst thing that I saw at the festival. Um, and that's saying something because we watched Dear Evan Hansen and <laughs> and 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 stuff like that. But um, I, I just like this was the thing that was borderline like this. Sh- this shouldn't have been released. And like, I know that's very harsh, but like uh, and it seems some people dig it. But like, I'm fine with you making I get that it's supposed to be real life and it's someone who's not necessarily making a movie, but I need it to be watchable. And I felt like it was unwatchable the way that it was shot uh, to the point where I'm like, I don't want to watch any more of this. So I shut it off. But yeah, yeah. to call it esoteric is being generous. It's just really weirdly incompetent and just underdeveloped. Like, again, I like the idea of sticking a personality in a, in a, a genre or, or if like a character like a whether they be a real life personality or um you know a fictional personality stumbling into a genre of film that you're not expecting them to or a style that is different from what they're used to um like i weirdly <laughs> when i was watching this i really thought of that horrible um crocodile hunter movie where uh steve Irwin, you know had that moment's in the early 2000s where he was so popular that he got to be in almost like his own James Bond movie yeah. where, you know, the crocodile, it was like collision course or something like that. Yeah, and sure, like, I, yeah. I was thinking of that or even like, you know, Howard Stern doing private parts, you know, yeah. private parts, which is his own, you know, biography, but or autobiography, but it turns almost into like a romantic comedy at times. Like it, it's um, like those kind of movies are kind of intriguing depending on if the personality works within the setting and if um the story around them is sort of interesting enough and again i like the you know the screen life movies as you mentioned like we've we've reviewed a number of them we've talked about host we both liked host for what it was mm -hmm. um but it almost feels like you know any of the goodwill that rob savage sort of garnered with 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 host was basically sullied here yeah i agree like i after host i'd be like hell yeah i'm interested in what rob savage is doing after this i'm like i you gotta show me a trailer first maybe or something like there could have been a different approach here that i think could have worked you could have take like taken like a jake paul kind of character like a youtuber and kind of done it that way and still been someone that you're you know is not pc or you don't really enjoy you know them as a human um but put them in a in a genre situation like you're saying where i felt like in this it almost used it as an excuse to be really cheap or a way to mask you know the cheapness or the effects of everything where okay let's just shake the cam a lot and we can kind of do some editing in there that will make some camera tricks or some something seem scarier than it is because we kind of have to you know, use the shaky cam and you not really being able to tell what's happening um, as a way to, for some of the scares or some of the grossness or some of the whatever of it. And it just ends up looking really cheap. And, and I don't know, I think there could have been a way where if you made the lead character more of a content creator, like on YouTube or Twitch or something like that, and they knew how to shoot things and not just be this very, oh, like cash cab wrapping kind of, here's a dash 
again, there's not even a dash cam in the movie. Someone pointed out being like a dash cam is something you have pointed forward on your car where everything is like her. I guess it's still sort of a dash cam because it's pointing at her and she's like doing this rapping thing. Well, I um, thought it was going to be a film about freestyle corruption. Yeah, like, I thought yeah. it was going to be because there's another um, movie that's kind of like that a little bit with Mary J. Blige that's available on uh, Amazon Prime called Body Cam. Yes. Which kind of yeah. does the same thing, but it's again from the point of view of like you know police body cam so i was thinking dash cam was gonna but be there like could have been something movie. intriguing there right playing yeah. with the cops but like uh, i don't know i think if you would have made the character a little bit more competent with its with how they are good at using cameras and stuff like that it could have been more watchable or just, just inventive like, or clever or, with yeah some of the 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 twitch stream snapchat-esque kind of you know video footage like it it's it's never really prominent when you know shit hits the fan like it's it, it kind of it feels like okay they they set it up to kind of have that but then they never really play with it in a way that we i mean yeah profile is a movie that is very trashy and maybe somewhat problematic but it's also still kind of inventive and using the medium to its full extent and a lot of these screen life films especially within the horror genre have been pretty adaptable and adept at sort of taking full advantage of using a computer different, as... and your phone and all the different devices and things like that this even, doesn't this even searching right that. like searching i think is even not a horror movie but is but it's still as a, genre. as a yeah as a procedural or a mystery or something like that like it actually is very effective in the way that it uses you know different computers and different os systems and different cameras and different security mixed with iphones and mixed with computers and like i just feel like this was just so one note and it was just so awful and it's like okay yeah we'll literally let you use the camera and whatever you get is what we're gonna use and it's just i don't know it was i we're spending way too much time on it but i think it was because it was probably the worst thing each of us saw or close to it um, was my, the second nothing's gonna top dear you didn't evan okay see i i had to put it below because like at least dear evan hansen for me i can kind of poke fun at and like laugh at while i'm watching it a little bit and just be baffled by it where this i felt like was almost see if like, we were to put ben platt in the lead role as dear evan hansen in dash cam <laughs> now we're talking just combine the two that's worst a movie mo- that the is the two a movie worst right movies there. the two worst movies we saw just combine them into one and now you're on to something eric but uh, overall, I have a feeling. Obviously. I just want to say one last thing with this. I have a feeling that this movie, like, so Amazon's doing this thing now where, like, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel with um, Blumhouse, Blumhouse films <laughs> that don't get distribution in terms of, like, whether they're streaming. Hey, Jason, or... what uh, stuff can you not get sold anywhere? Bingo else? hell. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll basically, you know, I mean, we saw actually one of those films a few years ago, the lie. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And which was and very actually, bad. Yeah, and that became a part of also shot in Toronto. Um, Welcome to the Blumhouse. <laughs> yeah, and so now every year they're they're doing that where they're packaging at least in October, you know, yeah, four movies. It seems to be an annual event now. This is the second year. I wouldn't be surprised if Dashcam ends up being a part of next year's uh, grouping of films. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. At Bingo that, Hell Two and Dashcam. Great. Um, overall, I love TIFF. Can't wait for next year. Uh, and we'll see what other festivals we'll be covering. We'll see if they continue kind of the digital element for some of them. I'm hoping we can cover Sundance again. Um, I'm hoping, you know, some of the festivals continue that digital side, even if the 
selection is a little bit limited for international. But also the press leaking though. Now, I mean, we I know talk about that with the power of the dog and the guilty. couple Netflix movies got leaked. So. Which is the weirdest ones to think about. Like, if you're going to leak anything online, like those movies are eventually going to stream anyways, and it's all, it's almost like what were what was the thinking process between whoever? I don't did know. That? Who knows? uh so i'm excited uh love the festival uh our i eric quickly we don't have to talk about but let's go through our top tens mine tens? uh let's right. do just 10 to 10 to 1 uh honorable mention for me for belfast and power of the dog but didn't quite make my top 10 but my top 10 of tiff 2021 at number 10 uh memoria number nine last night in soho number eight the rescue number seven marina uh, number six, Scarborough. Number five, T10. Number four, coming in right at the end of the festival, Bergman Island, um, which we will review when it comes out. Number three, Spencer. Number two, uh, uh, The Humans. And number one, Petite Maman. Uh, quickly, I think uh, Petite Maman and The Humans, I think, are in that upper class of movies I fell in love with at the festival. And I really, really love both of those movies. And I think everything under that from you know three to ten I either really enjoyed or enjoyed quite a bit. Um, but I, those top two movies are the ones that I will, you know, remember for a long time that I really, really enjoyed both of those experiences a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's a good list. And then um, a couple honorable mentions that didn't maybe make the cut. Um, I'm your man and um, Spencer, uh, which I thought were uh solid but maybe you know things about them just didn't make that list but it, but again you know it is what it is you can get our full list on letterbox too everyone yeah 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 uh so number 10 is mr neff that name again is mr neff <laughs> honorable mention to that too a, a really fun experience i just didn't yeah. quite make my top 10 uh number nine is scarborough number eight is a hero number seven is the rescue number six is memoria number five is flea number four is t10 uh, number three is the power of the dog and coming in, in the top two spots, petite mama, number two and number one Bergman Island. Oh my God. It passed it. Wow. That was a twist for thinking, me. I didn't I've know. I've been thinking a lot about Bergman Island since watching it. It's wow. Like I'm excited to do that review now. I'm barrowed into my mind. I, I saw, I love both. I love both. Yeah. I, I, I think again, I, they're interchangeable. Yeah. It just depends on the day. Like, I think in, in, in most days I will choose a film that's, you know, 70 plus minutes. Yeah. Um, but there's things about Bergman Island that are really worth dissecting the layers of. Um, what a twist. That, yeah. But again, I'm not doing it to be like... It was a huge pleasant surprise to me too. It's yeah. in my top five, which I was not necessarily expecting. And I saw where you originally rated it and where you originally put it. But I, it's very cool to see that it it passed even though i love petite maman like it's cool that you have it kind of surpassed that and something you saw right at the end of the festival after the festival was two, actually two favorite. great movies i think yeah. in any case and two really great films directed by women so you know it, when these movies Absolutely, come out will yeah. definitely remind you to um check them out you know? mm -hmm. I will never forgive you that you didn't like the humans as much as me, but it's okay. Humans is fine. Uh, humans. I, I, where is the humans on my list? I'm going to look this up quickly before uh, we, we end have, I, I am actually quite. Oh, the licorice pizza trailer just came I out. I know. Do you want to do a live reacts of it or we what? We should do for a conversations. Okay. Let's do a conversations. We'll do a licorice pizza uh, reaction, which is funny. Spider-Man and licorice pizza as our two trailer reactions. Hell yeah. Um, 
uh, it's okay. Wherever you put the humans is fine. Uh, again, that's why I love doing this show with you. Why I love Tiff is like we have a lot of movies. I still that like are the in, humans. Though, I know you do. I, I know you do. Um, you gave a lot of three and a halfs this festival, which I think Just is handing them I, out. Like I don't mean that as a, I mean that as a good thing. Of like you saw yeah. a lot of movies you liked and uh, or not necessarily were, were good. Yeah, you know, yeah. like they like overall. I would say, um, yeah, it's fun talking about Dear Evan Hansen, and um, there was a lot to kind of really kind of get into with dune probably being our biggest disappointment um yeah. during the festival um hey and listen i'm gonna revisit dune i'm gonna give it another shot now that i know exactly what it is and i hope i hope guys i know a lot of people were mad i know a lot of people probably won't even listen to the show they were just random people who clicked on our youtube video but like I want to like Dune as much as some people are liking Dune. I just, it, I can't help, but, and I'm, Eric and I were on the exact same page of just being disappointed after we saw it. I hope whether when Dune part two, hopefully please God comes out, um, or we've invested too much time at this yeah, point for it not to happen. Or when I give it a second shot, knowing exactly what I'm getting, In I the hope, comfort of your own home. <laughs> I probably, um, well, when it comes out, when you get the when you get the screener, yeah, um, at the for, end of the year, because you're a part of the critics' yeah. choice group, right? So, so we'll see. I, I again, I do think it's the biggest disappointment, and then there's some other things that are just fine. Dear Evan Hansen, just on another level of bad. I mean, honestly, I think what would have broken into the top five would have been Malignant. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> no, dude. I will hypothetically right now looking at this, Malignant would be number three for me above Spencer. I think. Um, Gabriel if I'm being for honest, the win. <laughs> uh, if I'm being completely honest, if if I did see it at that midnight madness screening, even if it was unofficial, you know what? Peter kind of did it. I might throw it on this fucking list. I don't know. Do it, man. Like, go for uh, it. Like people are gonna be like, didn't play the festival. I'll be like, well, Peter did do an unofficial midnight madness screening during the festival. Well, it's um, funny that you, you you say you know like so for the um our bond conversation, which will be coming up this week um, on no, Tuesday. You guys will Tuesday, get it. Well, yeah. tomorrow. Oh no. Wednesday it will be up because we have to talk after this. That's outside of that. Yeah. Right. Right. But I, this morning, um, you know, Matt and I are going to be rewatching the Daniel Craig movie. So we'll talk about those films as well, you know, in the context of that review. But I was, I was also putting my, um, my ranking of all the bond films together and of the one, all of them or just the craig ones all of them oh wow i would all love to them. do that too but i need to go back and rewatch. i've watched them. them so many times as See, a kid where i have i just remember yeah. them all like i can't wait to talk we'll talk about all this on no time to die because but the I was reason telling why you this... i'm bringing this up is because so with the inclusion of no time to die this will be the 25th bond movie but unofficially there's the there's yeah. the Sean Connery 1983 Bond film uh Never Say Never yeah. which he is playing Bond but they don't have the rights to the name Bond or any of the characters associated within the Bond mythology so you know you have a lot of these cast members and and the world that's the same and it is just a bond movie so i'm like i'm not including that but i could understand you almost in- want to yeah yeah cuz it's actually not bad it's yeah. it's it, it, i mean for everybody that criticizes, um, you know, uh, Connery maybe being too old for that movie. I mean, Roger Moore was Bond until 85. And at the, that time, like, you know, like, it's almost like, come on, Roger. Like, I always considered Bond as an older guy. Like, I don't know, like, even after this, Daniel, we'll leave it for the No Time to Die thing because it will be his last one. And we can hypothesize where the franchise will go after. But 
I'm with you. I loved Bond as a kid. I used to, I remember buying a martini glass when I was really young and putting ginger ale and a grape in it <laughs> and like to pretend I was drinking martinis because I love James Bond so much and I wanted to be James Bond. Um, and we'll talk about all that on No Time to Die because, yeah, I'm excited to rewatch these Craig movies and then eventually go back because I have that Bond set and they're even available in 4K digitally. I don't know if yep. a 4K set came out yet, a, a physical. Not yet. Um, the, the, the Daniel Craig ones are. Are, but yeah. Um, um, but the 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 Connery to Brosnan films and and you know Lazenby and uh, Dalton mm-hmm. in between, um, I don't think have been released physically four K. They are digitally, yes. and I've I've been watching all the Craig ones in four K. And oh man, I just watched Skyfall; it's gorgeous. I I can't wait to talk about it all. But um, huge Bond guy, yeah, check that out on Wednesday morning. Our review for No Time to Die will go up. So if you're listening to this, it might already be up there. So go check it out over on Untitled Movie Reviews. You can check out all those TIFF reviews we mentioned over on Untitled Movie Reviews. Um, you guys can just a one-stop shop for everything Untitled. Uh, head over to our Letterboxed HQ, which is Untitled underscore Movies. You'll get links to all the conversations, all the reviews, all the podcasts, all our ratings, our lists. So I'll post both Eric and I's best of uh, TIFF lists. I'll put eric's bond ranking up i'll put my daniel craig ranking up because i need to go back and rewatch the other ones um and things like that so uh one-stop shop letterboxd hq untitled underscore movies uh thank you all for listening or watching as always my name is matt rohrbeck you can find more of my work around the internet but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can follow me on all those social medias at matt rohrbeck and I'm Eric Martian. You can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Here we go. Love it.